This is Commission President Sam Cho convening the regular meeting of April 11th, 2023. The time is 10.30 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building commission chambers and virtually via Microsoft team. Present with me today are Commissioners Calkins, Felleman, Hazagawa, and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss two items regarding litigation and or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.1110 sub 1 sub I for approximately 40 minutes and one item related to the performance of a public employee per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub G for approximately 30 minutes. And you, we will reconvene into public session at noon sharp. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are in recess. All right. This is Commission President Sam Cho reconvening the regular meeting of April 11th, 2023. The time is 12.08 p.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle Headquarters Building Commission Chambers and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Aye. Are you present? Thank you. Commissioner Pelleman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasekawa. Present. Thank you. And Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you very much. We do have a full <coughs> quorum established here today. Excellent. A few uh, housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting, please turn off your cell phones or put them on silent. For anyone participant, participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you're a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually or you are a staff member of the staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak and will turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For everyone at the dais here today, please uh, turn off your speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your questions to be recognized to speak through the chair and to wait to speak until you've been recognized. You'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting, so I thank you in advance. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method so that it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please now stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The first item of business today is approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item from the consent agenda. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve the agenda, consent agenda is on the floor and before the vote is taken. However, if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item, it is appropriate to request that item to be pulled for a separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any motions to rearrange the orders of the day? I don't see any here. Any virtually joining us? 
Yes. Uh, yes, Commissioner Mohammed. Uh, thank you for recognizing me, uh, President uh, Cho. I would like to actually pull item 8G and have several questions. Okay. Item 8G will be pulled from the consent agenda and addressed as soon as the consent agenda is uh, is approved. Any other items? Mr. Commissioner President, 10B? Yeah, Commissioner Mohammed, did you also intend to pull 10B perhaps from the agenda? That is correct. Excellent. Um, I would like to motion to pull that item and postpone it for the next commission meeting on April 18th. Thank you. Okay, great. So we will pull 10B and postpone that and move it to the April 18th meeting of the commission. Any, Mr. Any? Commission President, yes. that one needs a general consent. Well, correct. I'm sorry. That's not on the consent agenda. It's under uh, general consent. Or yeah, if there's no objection, yeah. Yeah, if there's no objection, we will go ahead and pull that. Any others? Great. Commissioners, the question is now in approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended? So moved. Second. Okay, great. I have a motion and a second. Is there an objection to the approval of the, yeah, is there an objection to the approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as amended. Great. Next on our agenda is our special orders of the day. Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record. Thank you. This is agenda item 4A, Executive Director Performance Review. All right. So um, every year we, as a commission, one of our jobs is to, um, you know, uh, do a performance review of the Executive Director who's one of our direct reports and probably our most important direct report. Um, let me just start off by saying, uh, you know, as I said to you, Steve, in, in, in our executive session, how grateful we are to have you as a leader here at the, at the Port of Seattle. Um, I think we're really lucky because you have such a tremendous breadth of experience, obviously your service to this country is in the Coast Guard, um, and you, you bring a perspective that is unique, I think, among many port executives, and I've now had the chance to meet many port executives as I've traveled throughout the world, gone to TPM, gone to other ports, and, and I can really say that uh, it, we, we, we really lucked out uh, in, in having you. And uh, as far as the 2022 year is concerned, obviously we're coming back from a, several years of having COVID. Um, you know, we're still dealing with challenges uh, coming out of COVID, right? We're, our international travel is not back and whatnot. But the reality is that we have handled uh, the circumstances impeccably. And I think that is a huge testament to you, Steve, and the team that you lead. And I know that you don't like to take all the credit, so, um, but it does take strong leadership and buy-in and a vision. And I think uh, the fact that we've been able to give you uh, an exceptional performance rating this year, uh, for 2022, excuse me, um, is a testament to all those things. And so I just want to personally thank you so much for your leadership. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to travel with you to COP27 and just get to know you on a personal level as well. And I know that our values are in line. And um, despite some of the push and pull that we, we experience, I know that uh, it's not because you know, you're in disagreement or you're, you're against us. It's just that you have a lot on your plate. And uh, 
we're trying to prioritize things as a port. And so I, I appreciate that uh, level-headedness uh, and the leadership that you bring uh, to us. And so um, with that, um, I will I'll open it up to uh, commissioners for a comment, starting with Commissioner Calkins, uh, who was the president of the Port Commission last year and normally would have led this, but is um, joining us remotely. So Commissioner Calkins, I'll uh, hand the floor, floor over to you for comments. If you can hear us. Okay, maybe we'll go to another commissioner while Commissioner Calkins. Commissioner Hazagawa. Um, Executive Director Metric, in my time here so far, um, I have been, um, I've personally felt so supported and welcomed by you and the staff. Um, I stepped in as uh, we began recovery. And um, I have very much admired the leadership that you've demonstrated through that phase as we continue to try to navigate it. Um, it has not been easy being in your place and the difficult decisions that you have had to make around vaccine requirements, um, around staffing, um, uh, shortage issues, and, um, and some really challenging budgeting scenarios. As commissioners, our um, job is to convey values and vision and a direction. And we have trust in you to accurately represent those values. Change is constant. And with what I have come to the Port of Seattle with, I have been so grateful to you to embrace the change that I've brought. Um, the uh, public information session around the hiring of a police chief was so important. Um, the public engagements that you've had uh, with members of the public around crews, the public engagements that we've had with the Beacon Hill and South Seattle communities, which have never been explicitly engaged as a budget item around difficult issues with air pollution. Um, I admire how you have run towards the crux of difficult issues. I agree with my colleagues that your performance has been exceptional. I'm going to be proud um, to support the motion before us. And I'd just like to publicly thank you and commend you for your continued public service on behalf of the Port of Seattle. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hazakoa. Are you embarrassed yet? <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Fellerman? Oh, yeah. Commissioner Calkins, are you able to un unmute? Is he in the meeting? I don't even see him. He, he is? is? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I'm here. Okay, go ahead, uh, Commissioner Calkins, if you want to provide any remarks on uh, the executive director's performance, go ahead. Yeah, um, aside from what we've already spoken about in, in the executive session and, and in Steve and our opportunity to speak one-on-one -on -one about these things, over and above that, I, I wanted to share just sort of one anecdote um, or, or attribute that I really appreciate about your leadership, which is um, you do an excellent job of going into decision-making processes with your own opinions and with your inputs from your own vast experience. But when we as a leadership team have come to a conclusion about how we're going to move forward, even if it wasn't necessarily the way you would have gone into it, assuming we were going to come out of it or, or uh, pursuing it, once the team has collectively made a decision, you are an excellent ambassador for that decision. 
uh, you execute on those decisions really well. And uh, that's not only uh, great for trust and health in our organization, but it also models leadership throughout the organization. And I'm especially appreciative for that. So thank you for another great year. I'm looking forward to many more to come. And, and I look forward to voting uh, yes on this. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. Uh, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. Um, similar to my colleagues, I fully support this item today and just would like to express my uh, gratitude for Executive Director Metric for your excellent leadership for maintaining a balanced and diverse business portfolio at the Port of Seattle and um, just your unwavering commitment towards environmental sustain our environmental sustainability goals. I said this to you earlier. Um, just seeing you to seeing the way that you have been advocating for our objectives um, on the international stage, including the United Nations, the International Maritime Organization, to me is just very commendable. Um, and just lastly, I just want to um, thank you for ensuring a timely execution of our capital improvement projects and prioritizing the allocation of funding from our uh, federal infrastructure bills that um, have already made a significant impact and will continue to make an impact and contribute to creating more local jobs. And so I'm just looking forward to um, getting more wins with you and our uh, my, my colleagues on the commission. And so just thank you so much for the work that you do every single day. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. And lastly, but certainly not least, Commissioner Feldman. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. And thank you, Steve, for your service to this organization. and years of commitment to the service of the country. I must say that uh, I take one exception to uh, President Cho's uh, comments that it's by no accident that we've had the benefit of your leadership. It was uh, a very thoughtful process that we went through and as the one remaining commissioner who actually went through that process and co-chaired it with Commissioner Gregoire, um, before we even started looking, we changed the title of the position mm -hmm. from executive, from CEO to executive director because we really wanted to make it clear we were looking for a public servant, not for a corporate executive. And so when we had a chance to uh, review actually many applicants, it was clear that your commitment to public service and integrity stood out. And, um, and that was, you know, fundamental to our decision of, of having you continue to serve in this capacity is, is really quite uh, you know expected because we knew what a character you were and and then uh, but I also knew you from your time at captain of the port and for a decade or so before that and we knew going into this that you've led with great uh, this commitment to the environment as well as to the community and I think the idea that you are now able to come back and take your Coast Guard expertise and history to be able to represent us overseas has been mentioned. This is just like the natural extension of your talent and, uh, and experience, which we're all great beneficiaries of. So um, I, I just wanna appreciate, express my personal appreciation for your leadership and for where you're taking us going forward. So thank you. All right, um, before I close it out and uh, ask for a motion, maybe Steve, you wanna say a few words? Uh, thank you all. President Cho, and thank you all, commissioners, um, individually for such kind words. I mean, I am these kind of I could talk all day about the port and the work that we do at the port, but 
uh, talking about um, myself is not something that I really treasure. But, but let me say this, is that I, uh, I think all those comments, I take all of those because, and I deeply appreciate that uh, recognition of all the work of the staff and that we at the port here, you know, being a values-oriented, mission-driven organization is something that, that has spoken to me ever since my time arriving here. And then working with uh, your strong leadership of what we want to accomplish in 2022 has been really uh, valuable. Um, I was thinking, reflecting back, uh, Commissioner Hasegawa talked about coming out of the pandemic. I mean, we all survived that, and I think that some of us have scars coming out of that and, and making the decisions. But uh, working, working together and then working with the staff has positioned us. Our work in 2022, as I've said many times, I think has put us on firm footing moving into 2023 with, uh, um, it's hard to believe, I'll talk about it in a second, but now we're in the second quarter of executing things that we're gonna accomplish in the second quarter. But I think all that work that we've done together um, and supported by the fantastic work of a fantastic staff that's, has, that believes in the mission of the port and, uh, and that's what um, you know, motivates me uh, to come to work every day. So I appreciate that and I appreciate, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate your thoughts and, and things about what we're doing right here at the port. And I do believe that uh, we're heading in the right direction. We have more work to do and I think that's uh, uh, one of the, the things, but I know that we're all in alignment on those values in the, in the mission-driven uh, goals of the port, uh, both on that triple bottom line, which is something I wholeheartedly embrace and uh, you know, those things related to uh, succeeding as an organization, doing it in the most equitable way possible with uh, spreading economic opportunity and maybe being sustainability as that third pillar is, is really important to me. And, uh, and I think it's so important to all of you and uh, it's, an, it's an honor to be able to lead uh, such an organization. So I thank you all. You know, I probably um, can't appreciate it, uh, say it enough to, to thank you for that trust and confidence in the work that we're doing here at the port. Thank you. Yeah, Commissioner Fellman. Not to uh, spare the opportunity to take another bite at the apple, but you know, one of the things that we all are aware of your greatness and we all are greatly appreciative of it, but what's really interesting is um, how the community sees us, right? Because that's, there's the internal and there's the external. and. Um, you know, being elected officials, we have this great opportunity to be amongst our community members. And, uh, and some of us have to actually run for re-election things. So people come up to us and say, you know, wow, since you've been on the commission, things have really changed dealing with the port. And I go, well, the single biggest thing that I've done since I've been on the port is putting on a new executive director. So I, it's, it has been felt by the community. It's clearly felt by the community. And I want to thank you for that as well. Here. Thank you, Commissioners, and thank you, Executive Director Metric. Really appreciate you. Um, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Seconded. Excellent. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Mr. Commissioner President, what is the motion? Oh, I'm sorry, to uh, adopt order number 2023-06. Do you want to what the salary? No. Should I uh, read the text of the motion? We can. Um, I, I believe Commissioner Calkins might have had a motion. Oh. He did not uh, voice he, it, no. To, uh, I would certainly move to uh, approve the recommended uh, compensation increase uh, for, for Executive Director Metric and the associated uh, one-time. Uh, forgetting the language we're using for it, but... Uh, 
a one-time payment as well. Yeah, I can, I'm happy to go over real quick for the record. If I can read it oh, as well. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, please. I can go ahead and read that title. This is order number 2023-06, and it's basically motion put into order form, uh, providing for an exceptional performance 4.25% plus 1% lump sum rating of the executive director based on performance in 2022. Um, and then that is effective March 1st, 2023, um, and then a one-time lump sum award of $4,178.31 and providing for the 6% cost of living increase provided to port employees in 2023, regardless of performance increase, and that is effective February 1st, 2023. Uh, that is the order. Excellent. Thank you so much. We've already received a first and a second, and so we'll go ahead and call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent, the motion passes. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> All right, next on our agenda is the Executive Director's Report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, as I noted, this is the first commission meeting of the second quarter in the beginning of spring, and I want to begin today with recognition of a special group of our employees. This week is National Public Safety Telecommunicators Week, where we recognize the remarkable efforts of the voices behind the call for 911 incidents. Telecommunications provide the critical link between people needing emergency services and responders, and as such are referred to as the first of the first responders. This is critical work, and of course that, that doesn't do justice to what happened, you know, the uh, circumstances that people that call 911 are often in when they call in uh, for that first call when assistance is needed. Here at the Port of Seattle, our, our t staff of 20, which is 17 frontline 911 dispatchers, two supervisors, and one managers, uh, dutifully respond quickly to each and every emergency call they receive from the airport and the seaport. They determine the amount of police, fire, or medical help to send by asking critical questions and spend measured moments providing information or giving critical life-saving instructions, such as telephone CPR. They are the first link to public safety chain, and we thank them for their service and commitment to our public safety uh, throughout the port and in the area. So that's something I really wanted to recognize. Uh, moving on, one major accomplishment I'd like to mention today is that last night marked the successful connection of a container ship to shore power at Terminal 5 for the first time. This is a major milestone in our effort, with the joint effort with the Northwest Seaport Alliance to reduce emissions from vessels at berth throughout our waterfront. I want to congratulate the huge team of Port of Seattle and NWSA staff as well as other partners who have been working very hard to achieve this goal and that includes our labor partners at the ILWU. While the concept of cold ironing is straightforward, there are thousands of details that we know through our experience that are needed to be ironed out to ensure a successful plug-in connection. I look forward to regular utilization of this capacity for future ships at Terminal 5, and this continues our efforts to electrify our waterfront and decarbonize the maritime industry. Spring is here, sort of, in the Pacific Northwest way. With the arrival of spring comes the return of cruise. Our first ship of the cruise season, the Norwegian Bliss, will arrive later this week on April 15th. I hear excitement 
uh, from many businesses throughout the community and in the region since Cruz is a key economic driver for them. Under your leadership, we remain committed to exploring emerging strategies and partnership with cruise lines and other ports to accelerate decarbonization of this major line of business as well. Furthering this effort, last week we participated in a Green Corridor webinar as part of our effort to make the cruise industry more sustainable. We had participants from around the globe, and it was great to hear about the many sustainability efforts underway in the space and how our Pacific Northwest to Alaska corridor has the potential and is looked at to be a key driver of new technologies and processes going forward to reduce uh, carbon footprint. In breaking news, this morning we learned that the United States national emergency to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic ended Monday by President, President Biden after three years, which is weeks before we thought it would end. We were prepared, but we thought this announcement would come in May. Um, our team is reviewing this new information and will soon, soon share information about the steps we will take here at the port to deconstruct our COVID-19 response plan and we'll be putting that out to, uh, uh, as that goes forward. I want to re reiterate the message that the vaccine is still the number one proactive mitigation measure to lower risks associated with the COVID virus and we continue to ask employees that are sick to stay home. And more information will be shared soon with the staff. Moving to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. If the theme for our last commission meeting was infrastructure, then the theme for this week's commission meeting is equity. On today's action agenda is the ado adoption of our equity policy directive and an order, uh, uh, actually the order on language access was moved to the next meeting and an update on our diversity and contracting efforts. These actions support our values of anti-racism, equity and inclusion as growth strategies here at the port. I will share more about these items during their introduction. So, commissioners, with that, this concludes my report. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, uh, Steve. We are uh, now at committee reports. Erica Chung from the Commission Strategic Advisor will now provide the report. Good afternoon, President Cho and commissioners. I have two committee reports for you today. On uh, Thursday, April 6th, Commissioners Mohammed and Cho, along with Public Member Sarah Holmstrom, convened the first quarterly audit committee meeting of the year with Commissioner Mohammed presiding. The committee received reports on the results on an accountability audit undertaken by the Washington State Auditor's Office, the internal audit director's annual communication to the committee, open issue status, the internal outreach project update, and the 2023 audit plan update. The committee was also briefed on the performance audits conducted, by, conducted on Fisherman's Terminal, the Terminal 5 birth modernization project and the supply chain disruption management. The committee also discussed security awareness and skills training materials, uh, meeting materials as well as video for the meeting can be found on the commission meeting portal. The next quarterly meeting will be held on June. The small business ad hoc committee uh, meeting um, on April 6th, uh, Commissioners Cho and Mohammed convened the first small business ad hoc committee. The committee reviewed the 2023 proposed work plan and received a briefing on Port Gen by Diversity and Contracting Team. The next meeting is scheduled for May 16th. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Are there any questions from commissioners for either Steve or Erica? All right, seeing none, thank you both for your reports. We will now move on to the next um, item on the agenda, which is public comment. 
We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commentator will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and the buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. You must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of report business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the Commission as a body, not to any individual Commissioner. Disruptions of Commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of poor business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language. Obscene language and gestures. Refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment. Leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may offer written materials to the commission clerk and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off and warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting as provided in the commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the commission will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually as well as anyone who has joined us in the chambers. When I call your name, please, if you are joining virtually, unmute yourself, then press repeat, uh, please repeat your name for the record and state the topic to the conduct of port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you are speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table to repeat your name for the record and state your top topic related to the conduct of poor business. Our first speaker in person is going to be Jordan Van Voost. Jordan? All right, Jordan, if you could just uh, restate your full name and the topic related to the conduct of poor business, and then we'll start the clock. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon. Is that on? Hello? There we go. Is the light on? No, the light. Sting, testing. There we go. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Jordan Van Vost, and I'm a member of Seattle Cruise Control. My father, Peter, died three weeks ago. He taught me a lot about the ocean and how to respect all life. I was fortunate to be with him during his passing and to remember impermanence. So while I'm still grieving my dad, I need to think about the future and the urgent threats to the web of life. From reading your blogs, it's clear that all of you understand the science behind the climate crisis. Thank you for doing your homework. What continues to deeply concern me, though, is your belief in false solutions based upon biased and cherry-picked data. The much-hyped Green Corridor, relying upon voluntary participation from for-profit cruise corporations, and a fragmented analysis of the true impact of cruise ship tourism that values short-term dollars over the long-term health of the ecosystem will be too little too late to make a, a difference in addressing the climate emergency. Decarbonization sounds great. Unfortunately, the promise of alternative fuels doesn't pan out in the time frame needed to address the crisis. Last week, Seattle Cruise Control hosted a public meeting on Zoom 
which can be viewed on our website, presenting a summary of the harms of cruise ships and corrective suggestions for port leadership. Cruise ships represent the epitome of a non-essential fossil fuel-based industry that has no moral justification due to the climate emergency we face. But that is only one of the many harms of cruise tourism. The ultimate wealth is a thriving ecosystem. Please begin an equitable transition for workers and our region away from this toxic industry. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, we're going to move to a virtual uh, public commentator. Uh, first on our list virtually is Michael Byun. Michael, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank Excellent. you, commissioners. Good, af good afternoon. Uh, this is Michael Byun, Executive Director for Asian Counseling and Referral Service, and I am here today to speak on the Equity Policy Directive. So ACRS um, contracted with the Port of Seattle in 2021, and we were one of the first community-based organizations to do so. And from that time, we've um, experienced and um, learned a lot from the process and wanted to offer some specific uh, um, counsel and advice to the port as they continue this work uh, to address equity and specifically working with community-based organizations. Um, first and foremost for um, ACRS, the process of contracting with the Port of Seattle was um, very bureaucratic from our perspective. Um, and for, for the other important matter too is that as a community-based organization, we are not your typical vendor that works with the Port of Seattle, um, many of them who are for-profit businesses. So this idea of one-size-fits-all approach to contracting does need to be further explored. ACRS and other community-based organizations are very familiar with contracting. We work with a number of public entities, including the county and the city and the state. And um, this experience with the port was very different. And so we do have experience in terms of developing contracts and negotiating contracts um, with funders. But this one, this particular example of working with the port, there seems to be more bureaucracy, less flexibility, and contracting negotiation process wasn't very easy. Um, as the port continues to work to increase equity and specifically working with community-based organizations, I would suggest that they develop an alternative contracting process specifically for community-based organization partners that are more flexible and in line with other federal, state, and local con contracts that we have. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. All right, we'll shift back to in-person comments. Uh, Alex Zimmerman is next. Alex? Uh, 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 yeah. My name is Alex Zimmerman. Yeah, it's working. Yeah, my name is Alex Zimmerman. I'm candidate for ship to the moon 23. Yeah, the 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 my dem, dem, dem. Nazi pick from Animal Farm. I want to speak about conductor report because it's very important. Alex, I need you to tell me what topic you're speaking to. Conduct of the port, and I will explain to you exactly. Only don't interrupt me because it's not legal. Yeah. I mean, it's legal, but this talking. Show who you are, you know what this means. Yeah. 
Alex, your topic has nothing to do with the conduct of port business. I need to understand. It's a port business because people in Seattle in port staying together. You know this or you don't know this because you low life. And I told you, you very ugly people because don't give somebody different opinion. Listen. So this I told you many times. You'll repeat again and again. You belong to more dirty damn Nazi mafia, what is I know this. This is exactly what's happened. You all identical. It's a problem. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right, we're moving on to our next speaker. Uh, we're going to Stacy Oaks, who's with us virtually. Stacy, can you hear me? Stacy. Yes, sorry, I was okay. trying to get unmuted. Awesome. Go ahead and uh, state your name and your topic related to port business, and then we'll start the clock. Thank you. My name is Stacy Oaks. I'm a member of Seattle Cruise Control and a lifelong Washington resident, and today I'll be speaking about cruise ships. During the recent Green Cruise Corridor webinar, Norwegian Cruise Line's VP of Environmental Governance said that ships being built now would be around and be used until 2050. Those ships run on fossil fuels. There was no talk of stranded assets. There was no talk of a commitment to zero emissions vessels by a certain date. What I took away from the webinar is that these cruise companies plan to continue burning fossil fuels until at least 2050, burning 30 to 50 gallons for each mile traveled, for each sailing schedule, for the next 27 years. This green corridor is not going to get us to the future that we need. A goal of net zero is really just an accounting trick that allows for continued emissions of greenhouse gases with no reductions required as long as the polluting industries pay for carbon offsets. Study after study has shown that the vast majority of offsets do nothing to lower emissions, may not be equitable, and may do more harm than good. We cannot continue to add more and more sailing while overall emissions continue going up and pretend to be doing something about it. We need to implement an actual plan to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, the total emissions, not just the 5% of each voyage that happens in our airshed. We have a responsibility to the young people alive today and the generations we hope will come after them. Stop playing accounting games and using stall tactics. Make a plan now for the 2024 cruise season. Since we know that the needed reduction isn't going to come from a magical fuel not invented yet that can power these floating cities, we need to hit that reduction goal by decreasing the number of sailings. A plan should also be created to keep reducing the number of sailings each year to get to zero emissions by 2040. 
As a bonus, limiting failings would also decrease the annual amount of water pollution and health harm and toxic emissions. Taking this bold action would really raise the bar on what it means to be the greenest port in North America. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Our next speaker is in person, Abigail Brockway. My name is Abigail Brockway and I'm commenting on crews. I own and operate a small business in the city of Seattle since 1991 and I recently read an interactive article in the Hawkeye magazine called Cruise Ship Invasion. The article included a video interview with Wanda Culp of the Clinkett First Nation who moved out of Huna after living there for 40 years because of cruise ship tourism. I would like to share some of her heartbreaking words here today. We have nothing but beauty around us, and there, then here comes cancer. Just like that, Huna is now overrun with tourists, thousands upon thousands of tourists. Huna has lost over the last couple of years over 100 residents, primarily native residents. So there's more, now more Huna people in Juneau than there are in Huna, because there's no place for us now. I'm no longer hunting, fishing, and gathering, which was my lifestyle for many years. Huna is not Huna anymore. I lived in a village before I moved out, and the air is stinky. Not only do the cruise ships bring in this stinky air, but those buses, those buses traveling right through our village, right through our private property. Our marine life is decimated because of the ships and the pollution. The noise pollution in the water, plus now we have invasive species as well adding to what's going on in the air and the noise is ruining us. The interests of the Alaskan people are being made invisible. We're now a commodity. We've been gutted and for display only. And I was still living the way I wanted to live. And then the tourism comes in and the invasion that I described, that became impossible. I would tell anyone who is booking a cruise on one of these huge floating cities, be aware of the fact that cruise lines are an invasive species into our presence. That's hurting us more than any other industry ever has. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Um, our next speaker is virtual, Iris Antman. Iris, can you hear me? Iris, if you're uh, on. Yes, I can. Okay, great. Thank you. My name is Iris Hartman, and I'm a, a member of Seattle Cruise Control. Good afternoon, Port Commissioners and staff. <clears throat> Echoing Jordan's comments, I'm deeply concerned about the ongoing embrace of the cruise business and the material support to increase it, spending almost a million dollars to encourage people from more parts of the world to fly here and cruise to Alaska. What cost does this industry have to Seattle, Washington, Canada, Alaska, the world, the cost of community health care, degradation of water, air, marine life, and the climate are never considered in the charts and graphs used to show the benefits of cruise. We're not meeting the climate goals agreed to in the 2015 Paris Agreement. How can we possibly expect to meet them if we're increasing the number of sailings and passenger flights? This flies in the face of common sense. We must address the existential crisis of a warming planet. You can begin by capping and reducing the number of sailings to 2019 levels starting in 2024. 
The Port has been successful at incorporating the principles and practices of diversity and equity. What about the inequity of international tourism, where people with means fly and cruise, causing a worsening climate crisis, while the most vulnerable people, locally and globally, disproportionately suffer the destructive consequences of global warming? We must figure out together how to transition away from the destructive cruise industry to businesses that are constructive and provide family wage jobs for a diverse workforce. Create a department to develop clean and healthy ways to do business at the port that don't rely on destructive cruising. How can you not prioritize helping to save the planet? Thank you. Thank you, Iris. Uh, our next speaker is in person. I believe it's Lynn Gardner-Johnston. I apologize if I didn't read that correctly. My name is Lynn Gartner-Johnston, a Seattle resident also commenting about the cruise ship industry. I also read the Hackeye piece, Cruise Ship Invasion. From that piece, I'd like to speak some additional words from Wanda Culp the Tlingit woman who left Huna after the cruise ships came. These are Wanda's words. I wish I could put my vision on the walls for everybody to see because it was so beautiful. Huna was under a thousand population. On Front Street, one side was for the commercial fishing fleet and the other was personal skiffs. It was a hub of activity. Everything was always a community affair. People would go down and chit chat or even lend a hand. Now, the dock on Front Street in Huna is stripped clean. No more local boats are allowed to tie up, and there are no more skiffs for us natives. Everyone else owns them. We're too poor to have them, and our village is crumbling. And visitors are coming from Icy Strait Point. They thought a crumbling village was a visitor site like the Wild West, so they would literally walk into a private house. One lady stopped me, and she said, you know, my family, my husband and two teenagers, we came here four years ago. She said, there's millions of dollars changing hands at Icy Strait Point. You folks look like even worse shape than you were four years ago. Is that true? And I said, yes. That's the end of Wanda's words. Speaking for myself, my heart breaks for Wanda and for the other Huna people who felt forced to flee their home from the cruise ship invasion. The Port of Seattle presents an unfailingly upbeat picture of cruise tourism, but I'm here today urging you to rethink your support of this industry. I don't want my city to be complicit in this exploitation, pollution, and continuing form of colonization. Thank you for the opportunity to comment. Thank you. Our next speaker is Robin Briggs. Robin, are you there? Robin, can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? There you go. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Robin Briggs, and I'm a voter in King County here to speak about the Ports Cruise business. Um, so I'm, I'm asking you today to cap and reduce the emissions from cruise ships and to include in that all the emissions from the ships as they go all the way up the coast. Um, cap and reduce is a viable way to reduce the use of fossil fuels that are causing global warming. 
By capping, we are stopping the growth of emissions and limiting our local economy's dependence on it. By reducing slowly over time, we are giving cruise ship businesses time to clean up while ensuring that we meet our climate responsibilities. You may think that if we don't host them in Seattle, they will simply take their money to another port. But really, they don't have that many options. The port of Seattle and Vancouver, BC are the only ports near a major airport and the only cities that would attract the tourists who head out on the boats. Vancouver has been increasing its capacity, but its growth has been only 7% compared to Seattle's whopping 40% growth. I think they don't have that much capacity, and they might also be happy to cap and reduce cruise ship sailings for the same reasons it makes sense for Seattle, in order to preserve the marine habitat and the glaciers the tourists come to see. The west coast of North America has allied on many policies related to climate, and this could be another one. A cap and reduce policy could be a core part of the Green Cruise Corridor, and I think the Port of Seattle could step up and be a leader on this. I urge you to adopt cap and reduce for cruise ships. And thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. Thank you, Robin. Our next, our last two speakers are actually in public, so we'll go to Martha Baskin. Good afternoon, all. Good to see you. Right, so I also am speaking on cruise ships. Fred, it's been quite a while. Good to see you. I'm sharing information from a friend in Victoria who did not feel comfortable sharing it herself, speaking out themselves. Speaking out against the cruise industry in a destination city has consequences. Cruise ship calls to Victoria are shaped by a law dating back to 1886, which requires foreign ships carrying passengers between U.S. ports to make a foreign stop or to pay a substantial penalty. As a result, the high-density residential neighborhood where the cruise port is located is treated as a pit stop for avoiding penalties rather than as a desired destination. Cruise lines bunch Victoria Calls into late, short stops. This year, we expect almost half the ships to arrive at 8 p.m. or later, after most stores, tours, and attractions are closed. In 2022, most ships departed between 11 p.m and 1 a.m. with late night shuttle buses and taxis streaming through our narrow streets and ships, ship horns blowing loudly. Cruise tourism in Victoria is high impact and low value. A recent study found that spending by cruise tourists accounts for less than 2% of overall tourist spending, whereas stayover and non-cruise day trip tourists account for over 98%. Adding insult to injury, cruise lines use Victoria to offload garbage. In 2019, cruise ships offloaded over 2,000 tons of garbage and 5,000 tons of recyclables instead of bringing these back to their home port of Seattle. Victoria sits on Vancouver Island with limited landfill space and few processing facilities. Residents of Greater Victoria pay the price of cruise waste in increased heavy truck traffic, noise, pollution, wear and tear on roads, and foreign corporations filling our limited landfill space. If Seattle benefits from cruise tourism, it's doing so at Victoria's expense. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Martha. Uh, and last on our list, list, list of general public comment is Carla Hart. Is it Hart? I think it's Hart. Thank you, Commissioners. My name is Carla Hart. I'm a lifelong Alaskan down from Juneau for some visiting and medical and had the opportunity to speak with you in person. I want to give you a sense of what the cruise industry means to Alaska. The executive director mentions he hears excitement about the beginning of the cruise season. 
Many of us in Alaska, what used to be called summer is now the cruise season instead of summer, and we feel dread, not excitement. My home is not near the port of Juneau, but it happens to be between our airport and the Mindenhall Glacier. It's not under the approved flight route, but I can get up to 12 hours a day of helicopters flying in flights of seven helicopters every 15 minutes. A flight of seven helicopters has a noise footprint of eight minutes. I no longer spend most of the summer in Juneau, where I love, where I used to have tourism businesses, because the noise and the impacts from the tourism industry, the cruise industry specifically, are inescapable. Our 32,000 person community is scheduled to have 1.6 cruise passengers this summer. Um, residents of Juneau voted to ask for limits. Unfortunately, our city council has been fairly co-opted by the industry, and we were only given the limit of five cruise ships a day, which was an agreed upon number that the cruise ship came up, cruise industry came up with. The prior year in a survey, the average number that we had asked for was four cruise ships a day. I urge you to not expand capacity. I understand MSC Cruises is looking for a home port. Please do not expand capacity for the Alaska cruise industry. Um, further with the Green Cruise Corridor, and very quickly, please don't just look at decarbonization. You need to stop the scrubbers. You need to stop that scrubber waste into the water. Um, it's destroying the copepods and other organisms which are fund foundational to our fishing economy and everything that we have. That's all I can get in two minutes. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Appreciate you. All right. Well, that concludes our sign-ups today. Is there anyone else present on the team's call or present in the room today who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please state and spell your name and state the topic related to the conduct of port business you wish to speak about for the record. At this time, I'll ask the clerk to give a synopsis of any written comments received. Thank you, Mr. Commissioner President. Give me just a moment here to stop sharing the timer. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Commissioner President, members of the Commission, Mr. Executive Director. We have received four written comments prior to our meeting today. These have been distributed to you in advance of the meeting and will become a part of the public record. The first written comment comes from Linnea Westerland, who writes to support with her support for protecting all of North SeaTac Park, including rugby fields and bike trails. She is a resident of the area and states the facilities are heavily used and is a valuable green space for the SeaTac Burien communities. She states that it is important for commissioners to answer questions from the public about the issue and opines that NEPA review does not preclude that. The next comment comes from Rob Bent, who writes regarding previous discussions held at the Joint Advisory Committee meeting regarding North SeaTac Park and a published statement indicating that the port and the city of SeaTac share each other's commitment to preserving North SeaTac Park. He states the importance of providing the public with specific plans and strategies under consideration that would achieve permanent preservation of the park. Nicole Pollock writes regarding her ask for the commission to state their position on permanent protection for the entirety of North SeaTac Park. And then concluding with comments from Noemi Maxwell, who also writes regarding her ask for the commission to state their position on permanent protection for the entirety of North SeaTac Park. She discusses the current zoning of the park and the potential for commercial development under that current zoning. And that concludes the written comments received today. Great. Thank you so much. Hearing no further public comment or testimony, we will move to the consent agenda. 
Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Um, items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, and 8F. 8G has been removed for further consideration. Can I get a motion in a second? So moved. Seconded. Great. The motion was made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes and zero nays for approval of the consent agenda. Excellent. Uh, with that, the consent agenda as amended has been approved. And I can go we ahead and read HE into the record? Yep, let's do it. Thank you. This is item 8G, authorization for the executive director to approve additional funding in the amount of $350,000 for construction completion and closeout of the central waterfront elevator modernization project for a total estimated project cost not to exceed $3,818,000. Commissioners, this is the third time you've considered this project, which will modernize the central waterfront elevator. This increase is due to elevator valve, oil cooler installation, and permit delays. Uh, we hope to close out this project by the end of the year and have the elevator operational later this month in time for the majority of crew season to, and other tourists to allow passengers and other tourists to access Pier 66 from downtown Seattle. And to answer questions or provide any additional information is uh, Rod Jackson, Pro Capital Project Manager from the Waterfront Project Management Team. And I'm looking for, there he is. There you go, Rod. I'm looking for you uh, here. Great. Thank you very much, Steve. Commissioner Mohammed. if you had questions. Thank you, President Cho. I, I did have a couple of questions, and I just was interested in understanding the challenges facing the Lamar and Belltown elevator, just considering the importance of um, those elevators connecting thousands of visitors and local folks between the waterfront downtown and Pike Place Market, um, especially considering the summer season is is um, is here almost very very soon. <laughs> uh, I'm just interested in in learning more about the potential impact on the elevator's availability and reliability, and um, would just like to know more information on what exactly is causing the project to go beyond the contingency funds, and um, you know if. Uh, if um, Rod, you could share or explain the factors that are contributing to the delays, um, installing those elevator valves and oil uh, cooler. And um, I also just wanted to know if the water filtration damage, how it occurred, and if that is um, separate, if that's a, a separate issue um, from just the Lennart elevator challenges that, that, um, that you all are, are facing. As you know, the bridge was completed by the city above, and what happened is the water from above came down and uh, infiltrated our mechanical room. So that's where that infiltration situation comes from. We have a claim to address that with the city, and hopefully we'll get funds back from there. So that took a lot of contingency funds as well. So 
With that, um, the elevator valves were not correctly installed, so they can easily go up, but they were slow to come down. So Turner had to replace both valves in both elevators. And with that, we had to um, put an oil cooler there, but it wouldn't fit inside the mechanical room, so it had to be put outside the mechanical room. And we're also having an issue with the fire alarm panel that was existing, but now it's too small. So what we're doing is putting the new panel outside, which is delaying us even further. We should get the panel in Friday and be installed next week, and we will open to the public by May. Bell Street's already open, so we're good to go there. But those are our concerns. Project just keeps going. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. That's really uh, helpful information. And so is the completion of the project going to be in May? Because I, I assume yes. that the, that's OK. Yeah, that concludes Fine. my question. I just wanted clarity on um, especially the timeline, if the, the delays would impact the project completion time and if there was a, a revised timeline that could be shared with the public. Actually, the um, LNI inspections will be on the 24th and be completed by the 27th of April. So we'll be open by May. Great. That's the plan. Excellent. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Mr. Thank Jackson. You. That concludes my questions. Great. Thank yeah, you, Commissioner Mohammed. Appreciate it. Um, we will now consider item 8G for a vote. If I can get a motion in a second. So moved. Second. Second. Excellent. And I will, uh, Commissioner, I mean, Commissioner, Clerk Hart, if you want to call the roll. Yeah, Thank exactly. you. Just a moment. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasakawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for approval of 8G. Terrific. And this item passes. Thank you very much. All right. We are now moving on in the agenda. We have one new business item today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, adoption of resolution number 3812, a resolution establishing an equity directive to guide the integration of equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging into the port's practices and policies, and to move our work beyond compliance and mandates toward long-term commitment and sustainability, sustainable systems change. Commissioners, this resolution was introduced at our last meeting. As I highlighted then, anti-racism and equity is a core value of the port. This policy directive will codify much of our work to become a model for equity, diversity, and inclusion, and provide clarity on our efforts moving forward. The port is committed to working every day to combat um, um, systemic racism in all of its forms. Equity, diversity, and inclusion is a key component for our growth strategy at the port. A huge thank you to everyone who was involved with this effort and to the commissioners for your leadership in the development of this policy directive. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Bukta Gesar, our senior director for the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Tyler Emsky, Commission's Office Strategic Advisor, and I guess it's for general comments and discussion in introduction of the amendments. So, thank you. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. Um, good afternoon, Commissioners. We're really excited to be here for the second and final reading of the policy directive. 
Um, and again, I also want to add my thank yous to all the people who've been involved in drafting this policy, very comprehensive policy, which includes a lot of best practices from other governments around the country for the last two years as we've worked on this. The finance team, the business intelligence team, the commission staff, uh, of course my team, the equity team, um, a lot of people have been very engaged. Um, we've highlighted the most important elements of the policy directive for you two weeks ago. We're here to go over some of the amendments, and I'm going to turn it over to Tyler to review those amendments. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, commissioners. So I will go ahead and uh, now read off these amendments that uh, I understand will be advanced as a package. So first off, we've got in Section 5, uh, lines B3 uh, and line 339, we're going to be striking the phrase for every department to read as follows. The port shall use an equity and budgeting toolkit or equivalent mechanism in the business and budgeting, business planning and budgeting process. Uh, the next amendment we have is uh, section 5B4A, line 342. We'll be striking the phrase Commissioner Mohammed, Commissioner Cho, and also uh, after the word by and before the word the, and insert uh, considered for adoption by the commission in public session after the word committee to read as follows. The executive director or delegate shall develop a definition for equity related resources. The proposed definition shall be reviewed by the equity and workforce development committee and considered for adoption by the commission in public session. Uh, the next amendment is in section 5B4C, line 347. We are striking subparagraph C and inserting a new subparagraph in its place to read as follows. Proposed to the Equity and Workforce Development Committee a structure for communicating and executing a pilot for equity-related resources in the 2024 budget. The proposal shall also be reviewed by the commission before the adoption of the 2024 budget. The results of this pilot shall be considered for further action. In Section 5C1A, line 376, be inserting a new sentence at the end of subparagraph A to read as follows. The policy for determining how stipends are administered shall be developed and proposed in Q1 2024. Next in Section 6, uh, 3, line 433, inserting the phrase outcomes of the after the word the and before the word policy to read as follows. Internal audit shall conduct an audit of the outcomes of the policy requirements in this directive on a periodic basis. And finally, we got uh, section 6, uh, 3A, line 435, striking the phrase as well as the commission committee responsible for oversight of OEDI and inserting in its place the phrase and refer to the commission in public session as necessary to read as follows. Internal audit shall present the results of this audit to the audit committee and refer the, to the commission in public session as necessary. That concludes the proposed amendments. Great, thank you Tyler, appreciate it. Uh, any questions regarding the amendments or concerns, comments from commissioners? Great, seeing not. Um, Mr. Yeah, Commissioner President? I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, we need to get the main motion on the floor. Yeah, I, I, I'd like 
So let me get the main motion on the floor and then we can open it up. Uh, can I get a motion and a second for the motion? I'd like to move approval of the amendments as read into the order by. Oh, actually, we need to approve the, uh, introduce the motion before the amendments. Okay. Oh, I'd like to uh, move approval of the equity order. Okay, great. Can I get a second? Second. Great. Now I will open it up to questions to the staff. Commissioner Fellman? Well, just uh, procedurally, there isn't the, a red line of the total motion in the meeting minutes, right? In the meeting materials. Is that, or, is that, or am I just missing it? A red line version reflecting this package. Of the total motion. It's just the amendments, correct? Tyler, may I? I believe that's uh, the case. So I think as soon as the amendments happen, then there'll be a new uh, version that'll be published, right? That is correct. So we'll make the amendments to the policy directive after adoption, of course. I understand your question through the commission president to Commissioner Fellman. Um, the amendments were not extensive enough to prepare a red line of the entire policy directive. So you have the individual amendment package before you. Just would have thought it'd be easier for the public to understand the, the context. That was the only reason. And I just wanted to, um, you know, comment on since several of them are mine, that the intent was that the uh, standard form of our actions are that the committees, whoever are serving on them at the time, uh, make recommendations that are ultimately adopted by the commission. That these these issues, especially regarding uh, equity and diversity, are important to the entire commission, and so that. Um, but the folks that actually serve on the on the committee work that's doing the deep dive then brings that forward to the full group. So I think that's primarily the spirit of the edits. You know, anybody can be on the committee at one time and then be off the committee, but still carrying on the work or verse, vice versa. So I just wanted to, that was the, the spirit of the reasons for my edits, which I think are primarily pretty consistent through the document. Great, thank you, Commissioner Feldman. Any other questions or comments? Okay, I don't see, oh, Commissioner Hazagawa, go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, Director Gaysar, I just want to thank you and your team for this enormous um, lift that you've taken on and, um, and acknowledge the work of my predecessors upon the Equity Workforce Development Committee um, to get this policy, this underlying policy to where it is. Um, and uh, just a couple questions for you about it. We have um, definitions of certain terms, and I was wondering, can you describe um, how we have come to this definition of equity? Yes. The current definition in the policy directive we arrived at by sending a survey port-wide to all employees and over 600 uh, uh, responded, participated, and offered definitions of equity. And so it's uh, widely socialized and based on the definition that everyone shared in the organization. We've also, of course, looked at other definitions that King County or the city of Seattle have used in, in finalizing what is offered here. Thank you. Um, can you also describe how we came to this definition of environmental justice? Yes, the definition in the policy directive is borrowed from the Duwamish Valley Community Benefits Agreement policy directive. 
um, which was worked on for, uh, I believe, over a year uh, between our um, uh, external relations team and uh, members of Duwamish Valley uh, community members. Uh, who worked together and came up with a definition that is used in that policy directive, and we have borrowed this directly from that document. Um, thank you. And one of the things, well, one of the things, I love this policy <laughs> and because it is, um, it's, and it's something that's hard to do when it's something so broad. And by broad, I mean it looks internally at um, achievement opportunities and outcomes uh, for the workforce. Uh, it looks internally at access to opportunities in contracts for businesses and folks and entities that are engaging or seek to engage with the Port of Seattle as an institution. And it's external facing in that it also regulates and determines how we are conducting business in consultation and collaboration with at-large um, community members. Uh, this is an incredibly thorough labor of love and I uh, particularly love the um, accountability measures uh, that we've already set into place, including the women of color assessment that identified issues and made recommendations and how this honors that really important piece of work, um, as well as some of the new measures, including identification of equity spend. This is novel. I think that it is an important component in um, setting ourselves apart as a quote unquote leader and model for equity, diversity, inclusion, which is an asserted court goal. Um, and I also appreciate um, that in addition to that equity spend that we've incorporated a goal for making sure that we're adequately compensating community members with lived experience who are we are asking to contribute and formally participate in port forums. Uh, so I'd like to thank you for um, uh, for this work. It's been an honor as the newest member of the Equity Workforce Development Committee to be able to contribute uh, to this body of work. Um, no further questions. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Hazagawa. Any other uh, questions or comments? Yeah, go ahead. It, it's not to the uh, motion, but it, to the memo that leads to the motion. It says, in, in terms of you looked at a third paragraph on the briefing memo. It says, in non-construction, 16.4% of the port's total spend of $269 million went to Wimby firms, meeting its 15% goal for 2022, and showed a marked increase from 14.6 Wimby utilization in 2021. It's this sentence that I'm wondering about. The goal, this goal did not include construction projects. Am I, am I? Commissioner, I think you might be looking at the memo for the diversity That's contracting uh, annual report, which comes next. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. I, I had it flagged, but that's why I didn't see the. <laughs> happens. It happens. Oh, um, sorry okay. about that. Any other questions or concerns? Can I make the motion? We already did already, right? Well, actually, so I'd like us to address the amendments as a package, uh, as one motion, as one vote. Uh, I'll ask now if there are any objections to the proposal to make these amendments one package. 
Great. Seeing none, is there a motion to amend the resolution number 3812 by the package of amendments before us? So moved. And seconded. Great. The, the amendment package has been made, uh, motioned, and seconded. Any other discussions before we take the vote? Commissioner Mohammed, did you want to make any final comments before we vote? Um, I, I can. <laughs> I felt like I made a lot of comments during our, our last session. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is I'm just I'm really excited that we um, are going to vote on this item today and that I was able to serve on the Workforce and Equity Committee alongside Commission President Cho. Um, you know, we spent all of last year really looking at this policy directive very closely. Um, as Director Gazar has said, we received um, valuable inputs from a number of staff members and the public. And so I just, um, before we vote, just want to uh, express my uh, sincere gratitude to everyone who contributed to the finalization of this document, uh, especially the OEDI uh, team, Director Gazar. And um, the one last thing I'll say is I think one of the most critical um, aspect of the policy directive is the section that outlines um, the development of a definition of equity-related investments. And um, Commissioner uh, President, Commission President Cho and I have already reviewed the proposed definition um, and before we got off the, the, the committee and uh, met with the Ports Finance team to talk about the dashboards that they created that really showcases the equity investments across the organization from construction, environmental initiatives, to our um, contracts with nonprofit organization. And, you know, I think by um, us being able to measure our current investment and collect data, we will be able to make the greatest impact. And I do believe that this is a groundbreaking model, which um, includes defining what equity related resources are. And it has the potential to set precedent for organizations across the region and the country. And um, just lastly, I think um, this policy directive really underscores our shared belief that for our region to uh, compete on a global marketplace um, and to reach our full potential, it is essential that we are represented by a diverse range of perspective experience across our um, our community and that's diversity in, in thinking and both our business portfolio and so um, again I just want to thank everyone who contributed to this document uh, thank you to executive director metric and um, to my colleagues who provided amendments I welcome those amendments thank you um, yeah Commissioner Cho you told me to speak so I'm gonna speak <laughs> <laughs> thank I you. love it I started to put you on the spot there uh, Commissioner Hazagawa I think it's important to emphasize that equity, diversity, and inclusion is an intentional strategy to become an, uh, more competitive as a workplace. Um, it is important for us to be able to attract and retain talent, to cast a wider net for folks that can enter into our industries, um, to promote the viability of the industries in maritime, aviation, real estate that we intersect. Um, and it's also good government, promoting access um, and visibility into our operations for all of our community members. This aligns with the port's mission to promote economic opportunities and an inclusive 
equitable way. Um, and truly, equity is that access um, to and making sure that the industry re remains competitive. So I wholeheartedly support this. This is integral um, to our long-term long strategy as an institution. Um, and uh, and I, I thank everybody for their work in getting it to where it is. Great. And I'll just take the final word here and also echo the sentiments of Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you so much, Bukta, to you and your team for uh, this labor of love. Uh, you know, I know, I think our goal was to actually present this and get past last year, uh, uh, but obviously, um, and I said this the last time we presented on this, um, you know, we were very thorough in, 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 in our approach to this, and I think this product speaks for itself, that uh, we've covered all the bases, that we have a product that, you know, obviously all of us here are very happy with, and will really make uh, fundamental changes to the port uh, I also want to take, thank Steve and the executive leadership team. Uh, you know, oftentimes accountability and these 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 metrics are uncomfortable, uh, especially when they may be tied to performance and other other things. But you know, I really think that uh, this back and forth and working with the ELT has ultimately resulted in a product that everyone is satisfied with, everyone's bought in on, and I think that everyone is planning to execute on, which is probably one of the more important things than just passing something. Uh, as a performance gest performative gesture, uh, but making sure that everyone is uh, bought in and uh, a part of the, the process is extremely important, especially as we think about the long term. Um, I always think about, you know, sometimes when you go fast, there's a relationship between how quickly it gets reversed or uh, deconstructed, and the fact that we took our time gives me a lot of hope that we will also uh, make sure that these measures are in place for a long, long time to come beyond any of us here in this room and our tenures at the port. So very, very happy and, uh, uh, and, and I hope everyone is proud of the, the product that we're about to vote on here. I also want to echo the sentiments of Commissioner Hazegawa and um, say that, you know, uh, the work of, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion is not something that we do in addition to all the other things that we do at the port. It is a part of everything that we do at the port. And I think there are, are certain uh, perspectives out there that this might be a distraction or not core to the mission of the port. Maybe we're a little too woke as a commission. But the truth is that the, the aim and the goal of this is to actually look at everything we do at, at the port through the lens of equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so it is, you know, it, it is joint to the hip. It's not something we can cut out right, strategically and ignore. It is something that we should do in every decision that we make, uh, every operation that we uphold and execute on. And so um, it's, it's, it's like, you know, say, saying that, you know, how can you walk without two legs? You know, it's, it's, it's part of our body of work. And, and so um, I'm really glad that we are all, at least with, in the port, all together on this. And, I think uh, as elected commissioners, it is clear to us, at least when we engage the community and our constituents, that this is the expectation of this organization. And, uh, and so I'm very proud, uh, quite frankly, that we are um, making this a huge part of our identity here. So thank you very much for all the terrific work you guys do to make that possible. So uh, hearing no further discussion on the package of amendments, Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote on the primary amendment Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For the primary amendment, package of amendments. Oh, I'm sorry, right? Uh, Commissioner Calkins, no. I didn't see your uh, hand go up. Go ahead. 
<laughs> no problem. I'll keep it short too. I just wanted to share my two cents. Even if this weren't the right thing to do, which it most definitely is, I would I would take this vote purely on the uh, the fact that I believe it makes us a more effective public agency. This work is uh, we aren't successful in spite of this work at the Port of Seattle. We're we're successful because of it. Because we do this kind of work, it allows us an advantage over those organizations that aren't doing it. It makes us more effective overall. And so, uh, I you know I definitely see this as a as a double benefit, both making us more effective as a public agency and doing the right thing. So, I, and I will take the first vote and say I'm, I'm an eye on this motion. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Toe. Aye. Five ayes, zero nays for the primary amendment. Great. The amendments are passed. Clerk Hart, we will now go on for the roll call vote on the main motion as amended. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For the main motion as amended, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Congratulations, team. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you. Well All right. I think we can end on a good note there, right? I'm just kidding. We have more good, good stuff coming, right, Ian? Um, meaning uh, agenda item 10B uh, has been moved to the April 18th, 2023 commission special meeting. So we are now on to presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 11A, diversity and contracting annual report. Commissioners, 2022 marked the four, fourth full year since the establishment of the diversity and contracting policy initiative, direct policy, policy directive in 2018. Over that time period, the port has made great strides towards equity and inclusion of Wimby businesses participating on port contracts. Through port-wide efforts, we're continuing a positive trend towards Wimby utilization. Today's presentation by Dave McFadden, Mian Rice, Lawrence Coleman, and Emily Ho will provide the details of the 2022 port-wide Wimby results and what is next for the program. Our results show progress, but we still have significant work to do to ensure that diverse businesses share in our work. I also want to note that in addition to the work described in our diversity and contracting report today, there are several other efforts underway to get us closer to that vision. I'm working with our staff to develop a plan to implement some of those additional initiatives and bring them to you, and I look forward to sharing more about that later this year as we develop a timeline for delivering that work. So as I said already, I think uh, the presenters are Mian Rice, the Director of Diversity and Contracting, Emily Ho, Program Manager, Diversity and Contracting, Lawrence Coleman, Women and Minority Business Manager, and uh, I think Dave McFadden's providing backup there. So, <laughs> and but I don't like it when everybody sits behind me 180 <laughs> degrees back there. So with that, me and I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank Hot you. diggity. All right, I'm excited. So thank you, uh, Executive Director uh, uh, Metric, uh, 
Commission President Cho, commissioners, and also the commissioners that are online today, as well as the uh, listening public. My name is Mian Rice. Uh, I'm the Director of Diversity and Contracting Department. Uh, I am uh, joined here with uh, part of the Diversity and Contracting staff with Mr. Lawrence Coleman to my right, and also uh, Ms. Emily Ho uh, as well. And we're all here today to present to you the Diversity and Contracting uh, give you a briefing of the 2022 uh, annual report of how we did uh, last year. Uh, and real quick, I wanted to start off on a, a fun note, really, in the sense of providing a, we have a little, I say a little over a minute uh, clipping of some of the, our efforts uh, of a uh, wonderful uh, um, business accelerator program that we had for some of the class participants and if we can play that real quick and then we'll get on to the rest of the agenda and we're going to go ahead and let this buffer for a minute for so years. we can get the best video play for years i have on my own looked for mentors and have not been successful so thanks to um, emily mayan and fernando I was paired with one of the best architecture firms in the United States, um, uh, Miller Hall. Folks can actually come in and pick and choose what they want to learn. And we have these advanced port gens and port 101s throughout the year. So it's just a matter of picking up which, what you, we try to meet you at your level as best we possibly can. It's good to network with other business leaders and especially with other uh, business leaders of color and sometimes just being um, you know on a zoom call or, or in a room with people that um, that I can relate to what they're going through and um, and I think they can relate to me as well essential that to support our our ever-growing capital program uh, we want that community participation. We want to have it. We want to have those hard, easy and hard conversations about what can we do to actually make it easier for you, the actual uh, small business. I think for me, many of the sessions were helping to unpack some of the barriers that I had experienced early on. And what I'm finding is that through this program, those problems are being elevated and they're being addressed and solutions are being offered. I hope that this program will continue. This is the way in which we show up for small businesses in a tangible way to help them be able to continue to become a thriving part of our economy. Without you, we wouldn't be successful. and We need to continue our success and moving in a positive direction. It's a partnership. So thank you again, woman minority and disadvantaged businesses out there. Uh, and keep looking at the Port of Seattle as a potential partner. All right. Um, you can never get used to seeing yourself on TV. So, on, on, so let me just say that. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh, right, right, I got the good side of the face, right? <laughs> so, 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 commissioners, I uh, just wanted to kind of level set before we get into the, the deep dive of the numbers and how we did uh, 2022, but we have our diversity and contracting policy directive, which was basically established in 2018. Um, our full, first full year of the diversity and contracting program was in 2019. but. 
essentially we want to advance equity and address contracting disparities uh, with women and minority participation on our contracts. And uh, the overarching uh, um, policy directive basically had two main, main policy benchmarks. One is to uh, increase uh, to 15% of the amount spent on women minority contracts within the five years, and the baseline was 5.3%. And then uh, second was to triple the number of one minority business enterprise firms uh, doing business with the port, uh, which was a baseline uh, back in 2016 of 2018, uh, excuse me, of 118 businesses. And our goal is uh, to try to achieve 354 businesses. Now, I remind you, commissioners and commissioners online, we hit the reset button every year. We start from zero, and then we uh, see if we can hit these established goals. So this is a cool thing. Now let me um, get to the punchline, get to the end uh, in terms of how we did um, uh, in 2022. Next slide, please. Oh, sorry, next slide. One more time, please. Get into the one results. For 2022, uh, wow, we got 12.6% with uh, 351 businesses that we worked with. I mean, we, and this is phenomenal. As you, if you look at this chart to see how far we have come since 2016, it's almost like a rocket launcher. We still have a long way to go from the percent of utilization of uh, dollars going to women minorities in their pockets, but it's up to that 15%, but uh, we're headed in the right direction. The number of firms, again, we just missed it by just, <laughs> just a handful, just a, less than a handful of businesses in which we uh, um, contracted with. So we got 351, the goal was 354. So, wow, but this year is our, uh, 2023 is our last and final year. So we're going to go for broke even more so, and you'll hear some uh, great information from uh, both uh, uh, Lawrence Coleman and Emily Ho as we uh, uh, continue on with our presentation. So with that, I want to actually hand the ball over, the baton over to uh, Mr. Lawrence Coleman. All yours, Lawrence. Uh, thanks for getting us started, Mian, um, Executive Director, uh, Commissioners. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here to chat with you all today. Go ahead to the next slide for me, please. Um, I'll be sharing with you uh, Wimby utilization for 2022, and I'll start uh, kind of at a global look, and then we'll just, just drill down. Um, happy to also have with us today um, uh, our outreach and communication uh, manager to talk a little bit about some of the strategies that uh, that we use in 2022 uh, to support uh, some of this Wimby utilization. So this first slide, excuse me, this first slide you're looking at here is just the global look of uh, contracting here at the port. Uh, in 2022, um, with regards to contracting, we spent about $472 million. Uh, and then we look at uh, public works, which is construction. The support spent about $200 million. And then on non-construction, we spent about $270 million. And then that far column you'll see there is the Wimby utilization. And so on port construction dollars, uh, we spent about 15 million or 7.5% with women and minority businesses. And then on non-construction spend, uh, so just think of uh, everything but construction. And we throw in here uh, all goods and services, architecture, engineering, so everything that's not the traditional kind of uh, construction projects. 
Um, uh, we did about 16.16% or 16.4% exactly, uh, and just over $44 million in uh, Wimby spend, um, $44 million in Wimby spend for the year. Uh, and then lastly, um, you know, this is, um, I want to just point out, it's not 2020, uh, not 2011, it's, it's 2021. Yeah, so I just want to <laughs> call that out. Um, but uh, what that note is just saying that we made some progress from last year, right? So, uh, so in 2021, we were at 12.1 percent to 2022, 12.6 uh, percent overall Wimby utilization uh, for the Port of Seattle. Uh, go ahead to the next slide for me, please. Um, this is a look at uh, ethnicity, right? Uh, and just to, just to be direct, you know, this is the intentionality that we hope to accomplish. Um, this is uh, the, the work that we have and that we're committed to. Uh, I'd say over the years, these numbers uh, fluctuate up and down uh, within the various uh, ethnic communities. Uh, and I won't read them all here, but I do want to point out another, uh, uh, a little bit of a missing data. So just these numbers don't necessarily add directly up but it's really just meant to show you um, the respective categories. Um, there are, a, 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 I would probably say about 20% uh, not shown here, and those are uh, firms that are not identified and we couldn't put them into a bucket just yet. But there's some work that we're always uh, trying to make sure that folks identify themselves is very, very important. But again, uh, certainly got some work to do in this area, something that we're committed to, um, to ensure that folks in these respective categories get opportunities here at the Port of Seattle. Go ahead to the next slide for me, please. Uh, Non-construction. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is everything but construction. So those goods and services, a &E, &E type of work, and everything else. Uh, it's been interesting over the years. Um, we've had the opportunity to set goals on projects that we haven't, right? You know, we've set goals on projects in that are related to HR, uh, temporary services, and things that the port never really set uh, uh, goals on. And just to remind commissioners and the viewing uh, public that uh, goals, these targets, uh, help us. Without the targets, we saw utilization at a, at a very low percentage, right, somewhere in the tune of 5%. So when we put goals on contracts, it's a target uh, and it's an opportunity for women and minority businesses to get some utilization. Um, this year in 2022 for non-construction, certainly pleased to see that uh, all of the divisions hit their mark. Uh, I also remind commission uh, that when we established a policy directive, there was some accountability that was uh, involved uh, or that's, that's also flowed down to not just our office, but to the various divisions. So we have the great pleasure every year of sitting down with each of the divisions and working through uh, diversity and contracting essentially plans and, and forecasting and trying to come up with goals that make sense for the port, but that are also uh, um, to the degree that we can bold, right? And so in 2022, we established a 15% goal on non-construction spend. And then uh, for all of uh, 2022, we, we hit 16.4%. So really, really pleased to see some increase uh, in the net commitment. Uh, go ahead to the next slide for me, please. And th now this is a closer specific look at, con uh, excuse me, at the corporate. And so these are the various corporate departments that, uh, that flow into that corporate division. Now, 26.6% is uh, some pretty good utilization. I think one of the big things I think we get out of some of the units here is not only just some good participation, but we get 
um, an opportunity to count towards that other goal that me and mentioned. So we have this, we have two things that we're trying to accomplish here. So we're trying to get that 15% spend up, but we're also trying to increase the number of firms. And I say this is probably the greatest contribution. So although there's not a ton of spend in some of the units, but there's certainly some contribution when we talk about increasing the number of firms here. So again, in corporate, we set a 14% goal and corporate came in at 26.6%. Go ahead to the next slide for me, please. And then this is just a, a kind of a, a larger look at non-construction. Um, just a couple of things to point out. Uh, this is probably one of the first years, at least I can remember since we've been doing this intentionally, that we've seen um, um, non-construction uh, spend higher than construction. Um, so just over the years, it's certainly been growing. We see great participation uh, by uh, those that do non-construction. So again, goods and services, A&E. And so I just wanted to point that out. So again, in 2022, we established, uh, or excuse me, hit 16.4%. But I thought it was interesting this year. Um, and when we take a look at construction, I will talk a little bit about how these two correlate. Uh, but, uh, but again, um, this was one of the first times we've seen just this rise in non-construction spend to about $270 million. Uh, go ahead to the next slide for me, please. So taking a closer look at construction, uh, and I know we've, uh, even last year, we talked a little bit about the value and the importance that construction has to Wimby utilization. And so just a couple of things. Um, so first off, um, this is a, a, a low spend for construction. And there's certainly a correlation between uh, high construction spend and, and higher increased uh, Wimby utilization, as we can see here. So we set an ambitious goal this year uh, to, to try to hit 12.5% on construction, and we landed at 7.5%. And a couple of reasons that stuck out for us when we were taking a look at the data. For one, the port uh, is not uh, necessarily the, the easiest place to work on, uh, to work for when you're doing construction. We have some mega projects that are highly technical. So not only are there very few firms in that space, but there's very few Wimby firms as well. And so, so just one example is there's a, there's a baggage, you know, optimization project, right? You know, has, I want to say like a 2% Wimby goal. Well, just nationwide or just, and probably even worldwide, there's just not a lot of firms that do that space. But when you have those major construction projects and you're not getting Wimby utilization, it brings your overall um, uh, uh, opportunity down. So just keeping that in mind. And then I also, uh, when we took a look at data, when I spoke to earlier about non-construction, we saw an increase or a huge amount of opportunity for Wimby firms in that space. Well, we were in the process of planning uh, and so saw quite a bit of uh, contract opportunities uh, and contracts and spend in non-construction. So, so nevertheless, I just wanted to point out that, you know, construction is an important part of what we do. It's an important part in seeing to it that women and minority businesses get opportunities. So when we don't get um, good construction utilization for Wimby's uh, or construction projects come out, we're going to also see a, a lower spin. And it's also going to impact our overall uh, efforts to meet the goal. Uh, with that, um, just wanted to, uh, to point out that making some strides in construction, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, a little bit further in the presentation. But I do want to turn it over to our, uh, our newest member of the team, uh, Emily Ho, to talk a little bit about uh, some of the outreach and training efforts that we made in 2022 to support our efforts. 
Thanks, Lawrence. Good afternoon, Executive Director Metric. Commission I'm sorry, can President. we actually have you guys switch seats? I, it's ah. kind of just weird having you all the way out there. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Come out of the shadows. Yeah. yeah. Darn it. <laughs> Good afternoon, Executive Director Metric, Commission President Cho, and Commissioners. Um, so training and outreach is essential to achieving our diversity and contracting goals. Um, it provides our Wimby firms the support and the resources that they need to be able to partner with us if they haven't already or if they already do to expand that partnership. So in the past year, diversity and contracting has really expanded its training and outreach efforts and is really providing a higher level of training and outreach um, than ever before just because of this um, increased capacity and this new position in, on the team. Um, so this slide here uh, shows the three main buckets of our work. Um, it falls into training and opportunities, communications, and engagement. Uh, trainings and opportunities is often referred to as our port gen program just broadly and it comes in many forms um, it comes in the form of our port 101 webinars which provide basic but essential information about the port and contracting at the port um, it includes first look presentations um, which show upcoming projects um, to let Wimby firms determine whether or not they want to pursue this opportunity and to team up with Primes or other Wimby firms um, to chase that opportunity. It includes uh, Port Gen Connects, which are our networking events. Um, that enables these firms to establish and sustain the important relationships that they need um, with Port staff, Primes, and other Wimbys. There's also technical training workshops that provide concrete training, like on bond requirements and insurance, and that provides them with tools that aren't just limited to chasing work at the port, it's broader. Um, and then lastly, there's our business accelerator mentorship program, which um, the video really highlighted. For communications, in 2022, we began sending out the weekly opportunities digest, which is an important tool that we never had before, and it makes sure Wimby firms know what our latest contracting opportunities are um, and any of our upcoming port gen events um, that are relevant to them. Lastly, um, for engagement, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one assistance, either over email or in one-on-one -on -one meetings um, that include understanding where the firm is at, um, where they want to go, and then providing them with the basic, either basic advice or up to strategic advice that is specific to them. And I've sat in on a number of meetings where Lawrence is really leading this because he's been doing it for so long, and it's super inspiring and it's always so helpful. Um, and I hope to be like Lawrence one day and providing that kind of assistance. Um, so that's engagement. So we typically make our first contact with these firms um, at community events that we go to. Uh, community, community events are important not only because it enables people to access us directly, either for the first time or the fifth, sixth, tenth, eleventh time, but it also enables us to announce our opportunities and events and also have our ear to the ground to what is important to these communities bring them back to the port, bring them back to diversity and contracting. Next slide, please. 
So on these, this slide um, are some of the new metrics that we instituted um, over the course of 2022 for training and outreach. Um, and it's really, we haven't had metrics like these at all before. Um, I want to highlight that we hosted and participated in 36 events um, and have a very wide reach in terms of our communications of 4,000 contacts. And we know that at the very least there are 27 Wimby firms who participated in our port gen events and were awarded port contracts. Um, I'm, we're pretty sure that the, num the actual number is higher than that. Um, for the upcoming year though, I'm really looking forward to tracking our metrics better and to make them even more meaningful. Up there for port gen event registrants, that's for registrants. I really wanna get down to our number of attendees, the number of Wimby firms who registered and attended. Uh, Portgen events are focused on our Wimby firms, but it's not exclusive. So there are a number of other firms that end up showing up. Um, I wanna track the Wimby companies who attended our events and actually pursued work and not were just not just that what was awarded. I'll talk more about that a little further on in the presentation. For now, I will hand it back over to Mian to provide a summary of diversity in contracting in 2022. Awesome, well thank you, uh, Emily. And next slide, please. So, our report card for 2022. Um, you know, on the positive side, we really continue to, ex we're continuing to increase our women minority participation, our utilization is continuing to inch uh, closer and closer to our goal that we've been heading in the right direction. Uh, the number of women be firms, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning of our presentation, it was, you know, we were just a few firms shy of our goal. Um, uh, so I have a feeling this year is going. We're going to crush it. So this is going to be a great one. And then uh, as this is on the record, by the way. It is on the record. Video. Yes, yes. Mark it down. Actually, you're making me too nervous. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, and then also because you know with the with Emily's uh, um, uh, entrance into our department and uh, blowing additional even more communication and training and outreach efforts. Our increased training and outreach efforts has been continued to be on a wonderful glide slope heading more and more folks are, are becoming more aware of Port of Seattle projects as well as um, uh, the, the area of, and I'm just going to uh, uh, digress just a small bit. I'm finding over the over time over the years when the Port of Seattle you know, we were struggling. I mean, back in 2012 and 2013, we were doing less than 5%. We were hurting a lot of folks saying, well, I didn't know that there was opportunities. I didn't know what's going on. Now, there's a shift. The shift is less about knowing I mean, what the opportunity is. It's now more about, okay, how do I get in? What's the training? What, did we, what are the things about the Port Seattle? So we started to see over the years the shift of tenor. Uh, which was great, and so this is a big compliment to your predecessors, commissioners, uh, and also the ELTs of the world and the port. Um, it's just been a wonderful uh, experience so thus far. So, but we still have some challenges. We still have some challenges ahead. You know, the, currently, as I mentioned earlier, the program is not on target uh, to achieve the five-year uh, utilization goal. For if we're looking at it from you know, a percent a year, we're probably going to run short. Um, so without uh, increasing our construction uh, utilization or construction spend, um, we may miss it. So we're going to, as you'll find in the, up the next couple slides for our future, 
Uh, we'll touch a little bit about our construction through Lawrence. So uh, next slide, please. All right, so this year, as I mentioned earlier, again, this is our, our uh, last and final year of our five-year goal from our diversity contracting policy directive. And uh, I'm gonna hand the ball over to uh, Mr. Lawrence Coleman. Lawrence, go ahead and take us to 2023. Uh, absolutely, thank you, Mian. Uh, commissioners, um, it is, uh, as Mian mentioned, you know, it's our hope to, uh, to continue make, uh, to build on the, the um, um, success that we've had, you know, but, and certainly got our eyes to, uh, to doing better. Uh, what I'll be talking about and uh, the rest of the team will be talking about is 2023 and just some of the goals that we have. Um, so just port wide uh, on non-construction, again, this is uh, some work that we have that we, that we reach out to the various departments and again, that accountability where it doesn't just live with our office, but it's flowed down throughout. And so each, again, every year, uh, every department and division establishes a goal. And so for 2020, uh, 2023, uh, port wide, there's a non-construction goal of 15%. Uh, aviation, 14% is what they're striving for. Economic development, 15%. Maritime, 19%. And then a corporate with all its various departments is 16%. And so uh, just over the years, we have seen some, some really, really good strides towards uh, exceeding those goals in non-construction. So and certainly looking forward to doing that in 2023. Uh, go ahead to the next slide for me, please. Construction. Um, just a second, can actually, yes, sir. We have a, so I'm sorry, I think we have a quim, question. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, why would maritime be so much higher and where, what's the rationale for setting the, that range of goals? For, for maritime? Right, what, well, it just it sticks out as being significantly different. So each division looks at their spend and they forecast, right? And so, so some divisions have more spend than others. Some see some contracting opportunities where they're able to get some, good, some, some utilization uh, that others aren't. So I wouldn't say necessarily comparing uh, aviation to maritime, right? So what's not up here is, um, is, is dollar amount, the right? The percent of what? The percent, yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So, right. so you can certainly see some variance in there. But you, know, you look at aviation when you talk about their budget, you know, 150 million, right? You know, as opposed to maritime, you know, it's just off the top of my head, probably like six million. But nevertheless, um, you know, certainly um, the contracting opportunities and the spend is going to be a little bit different. All right, thanks. Commissioners, I don't know if I can ask a question of, of Lawrence. Go for it. Is building on Commissioner Fellman's question, is that it could perhaps be those numbers are larger too because of the availability of Wimby firms to do that work? Is that part of this calculation as well? No. Um, and so when we look at availability, uh, we establish a contract by contract goal. And, and so when the contract okay. is Okay, so it doesn't roll executed, up. It doesn't roll up into no, these numbers. No. These, okay. uh, okay. the just division set the goals just based on the forecast of their budget. Okay. Appreciate it, Steve. Yeah. So how can you set a goal below 15% though? I mean, if that is the goal, the overall goal is 15%. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the overall goal, right? It's the overall goal. I, I don't know. So if you have 16 and 14, know, that averages to 15. I mean, it seems to me that the goal should be per division if that's what you're striving for overall, rather than having to pull a, a laggard up by having a higher percentage. It doesn't really achieve the sentiment of the goal you know it does roll up correctly but right. i mean through all the divisions it seems to be that should be that was the question i had when i spoke to the wrong 
it said you know that this goal does not include construction projects where the utilization goals are established on a case-by-case -case basis seems to me that the floor should be 15% as the goal but so so there's a couple things in here so as we go through the budget and the spend right the, the departments take a s swag so to speak a scientific guess in terms of what type of utilization they're going to get per contract and and at this and but there's no guarantee on these contracts because some of our state laws so basically what we're doing is trying to make an effort and as they go through the budget list that you guys approve then they roll up and trying to say oh I think I can get you know 25% on this contract or I think I can get 10% based off of the dollar bounce and then Lawrence takes a look at that and they all work together and saying okay oh, we think this goal might be most uh, achievable and yet at the same time a stretch goal based off of the the projects in which they identified per the budget and efforts just like given that it is loose and hard to predict mm -hmm. Why don't you set the floor at 15? I mean, like, it seems like 14% is almost there, right? I mean, like, how would somebody really have the confidence that you'd be 1% one way or the other? And again, it's your own statement of goal is 15%. And I, I so I'm looking forward to hear what Mr. McFadden says, but the, uh, the average of the average, I, I just don't see that as the, as the overall goal. I have an answer in part to that. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Executive Director Metric. Um, in the policy, it says that this is a component of our own annual evaluations, okay? So I love the thought that we push that higher and we think about that, but we are careful about that because if we overstretch, then we have that point of conversation at the end of the year. And so that's just the basis of why we're careful. Just wanted to explain. <laughs> Thanks for that feedback, Commissioner. Copy that, Commissioner. Appreciate that. Art, go ahead. Uh, next slide for me. Well, this is your stretch, uh, Commissioner Feldman. <laughs> so 7.5% was, uh, was the utilization in 2022 for construction. Um, we're striving for 13%. Just taking a look at uh, just some forecasts and and if we make this, this strides and we hit 13%, you know, it certainly moves us closer to that overall 15%. I do want to um, uh, just, I guess, as a, as a compliance professional, just maybe make a note about goals. Um, I, 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 division goals are division goals, right? You know, those are certainly targets. But when we set contract by contract goals, contract by contract goals, we're, we're, we're mindful of um, utilization historical we're mindful of availability the complexity and all of these things that that make up a construction project and just a contract uh, just a project in general um, you know some challenges that we have in our state the reality is it's an anti-affirmative action state right and so we do want to make sure we have availability uh, when we do set contract goals and so although we want to be as aggressive but we do want to make sure that we have justification you know to support um, that we're that we're doing things that are that are going to make the most sense and that are going to be attainable when we do uh, set contract by contract goals. And so, just wanted to throw that out there. But again, just uh, just talking about just some of the challenges are, are forecasting, right? Just trying to get to um, just understanding what's upcoming. 
uh, accurate and consistent processes, you know, and that, I, I'd say that's a, across the board. I heard the, the public comment, you know, and that's, that's a real public comment about bureaucracy, red tape, and those types of things and the challenges that businesses faces. And that's some of the things that we're committed to just, uh, just, just from the work um, uh, with MEANS leadership in diversity and contracting. And then the last challenge I think we have is specialized work. You know, uh, again, it's uh, you know to, to to run an airport and to do all the things that we do on a seaport. You know, it, it takes some folks, and um, so some of those things are not in our control. But I think things that are in our control, some of the work that Emily does when we talk about training, outreach, so making folks aware, making sure that we know who's out there, encouraging folks and reminding them that this is a place that you want to do business with, and so. So, this is only supportive all right so i'm just pushing here so sure. but no it's all um, good so the the work that you know so we set these goals mm -hmm. and we're the trajectory is great and so but when you want to say okay i'm going to do that much better next year how much more of what she's going to do is going to i mean we're going to pass a budget right and we want to feed this machine so what are you looking to do next year that's going to close the gap we're not just setting another aspiration and you're right, there are limitations of what the pool of talent is for the specific job. But you know, tell us how you're, not just that you're setting a goal, how you see the best way to achieve that additional progress. Because those are significant stretches. So, so let, me, let me answer this question real quick. Your, this question, your question, Commissioner. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's in one of these other slides, but but basically using, uh, utilize, we'll just take construction for example. More alternative contracting methodologies, GCCM, design build type projects where we can actually uh, put a stronger, heftier goals on it because you're negotiating with the contractor, right? It depends on the contracting type. These low bid, lump sum, you know, rip and read, it's a little more challenging in that regards. But when you're actually having, when we can actually select that contractor, actually have that conversation this is what our goals and we can push it we can push it hard as we can possibly do and so by doing that that is under the construction side that is an a way in which we can leverage our future when it comes down to increasing participation on uh, our construction projects with Wimby businesses that's exactly the kind of thing it's good to know is priority higher just like given so is that what we always do or no what? priority higher is a little bit different priority higher it's not shouldn't say a little different it it falls into when you actually when one of our projects have a project labor agreement and in PLAs are and priority hire is associated with it. So every time we put a project labor agreement PLA on a project then we do priority hire can't, can't you just choose to do it whether there's a PLA in there or not? Uh, not the way it's set up currently. I, I think there, that might be complicated in terms of dispatch without the PLA. That's true because you're dealing with the zip codes. Yes. And right, that's more of a, of like that's on a workforce side of the coin, right, though, right. Commissioner. Right. Targeting the outreach, though, by the zip code would be another way to get to the goal of a priority type hire the for workforce maybe yeah that that's according to our policy we have a priority hire that hopefully to get to that workforce goals <laughs> yeah. yeah if, 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 
No, 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 it's all right. I guess this is the fun topic, so I enjoy it. So we go, we can finish it up, and we can get. So this is these are all the this was the next step, which is, we talked about some of these and so just just some of the ways that we um, that we intend to get there and and I think if the port is for real about the inclusion, it it, it really needs to start to consider its practices uh, with regards to contracting. So I won't go through all of them like in detail, but alternative contracting method methodologies as opposed to just low bid. Uh, because it does provide us to review an additional value. And just so you all know, we, uh, our, our team, anytime we set a goal, we have the opportunity to, pr to participate. And so we're able to see just some of our prime contractors' efforts as it relates to including women and minority businesses. As Mian spoke to earlier, um, uh, pushing a little bit more on low bid construction, uh, I'd say we've been setting goals probably about the 8% range. And I hope if we're going to get to that 13% um, that we're that we're planning for, we're going to have to uh, to consider uh, just pushing it a little bit. Um, and so, as you all see, um, um, uh, dollars for construction projects come your way. You'll start to also see some increased goals come your way to consider. And then, lastly, compliance and outreach. Um, and so, it's uh, it's a mighty team of just a few, um, but we uh, we do our best to stay on top of contracts monitoring utilization uh, and that's in uh, collaboration with our uh, central procurement office and then um, again I think uh, just trying to figure out um, what are stronger enforcement mechanisms um, I know one of the things that Mian wants to do is to, is to post Wimby results of our primes on our various projects but but we're always trying to figure out ways to uh, incorporate ourselves uh, as we monitor uh, utilization to see to it that we get uh, increased uh, women and minority uh, participation here uh, I'll pause there and see if uh, see if y'all had any additional comments, questions before we move on. We keep yeah, it going. Any, I would prefer us to to finish okay. and then ask all the questions we want. Yeah. All right. So cool. with that, I'll uh, I'll pass it over uh, uh, to uh, Emily to talk about some of the plans for 2023. So here we've got a snapshot of some of the Port Gen training outreach um, events that we've begun in 2023 and will carry out through the rest of the year. Um, we will have more Port Gen events than before. They're going to be better catered to our Wimby firms based on what we've learned last year and with a better tracking that I talked about earlier. Um, this tra tracking will be super important to know how we're performing against our goals and to course correct if necessary. Those goals being to increase the quantity and quality of the relationships between WIMBYs and diversity and contracting and the port. The second being more WIMBY and DBE firms pursue subcontracts and contracts um, on port projects. The third being more WIMBY and DBE firms are better positioned to win contracts and subcontracts. And lastly, to increase visibility and understanding of port diversity in contracting overall. Um, and so I just want to talk a little bit about the, these things are all investments that these firms are making when they come to these events. And these are investments that we're also making in them. And so it's kind of, it's building the pipeline. Some are further along the pipeline in terms of becoming a sub into a prime. And so getting more work or get it becoming DBE certified. And, and then the last thing I just kind of want to mention, we do some targeted outreach to zip codes for our training, especially for our advanced port gen, which is our technical assistance workshops. Um, but that's really geared towards firms that have no experience yet of government contracting. So they're going to be, it's going to be a little bit more of an investment. 
as opposed to the accelerator program, which they already have some experience with government contracting, and we're trying to help them level up and scale up and be even more successful. Um, so with that, I'll hand it over to Mian to talk about the overall diversity and contracting program moving forward. All right. Next slide, please. Moving forward, one more time. Oh, thank you. Next slide. So, uh, we're in our fifth year of diversity and contracting. We want to achieve our goals. This is 2023. This is it. We want to go, for, as I said in the beginning, we want to go for broke and try to achieve the goals in which we've identified. Um, we want to continue to address our, we're addressing the barriers identified from the Wimby analysis study that was conducted. Um, and we want to recruit key women minority suppliers and expand the number of women minority businesses uh, utilized. We want to continue to provide ongoing training. I'm going fast because that way you can get to your questions. Um, and promote DBE, uh, federally DBE certification on upcoming federally assisted projects. Um, and, uh, and this is, uh, falls into, uh, we get the FAA sometimes provides some additional federal funding for our, our projects, and so we want to make sure that uh, uh, a lot of our women businesses uh, become DBE certified so they can um, also participate and get, we can get credit for that as well. And then lastly, I wanted to mention that we have the uh, development of an architecture engineering uh, uh, program for small and disadvantaged businesses, veteran Wimby businesses, and so that's uh, for 2023, trying to get that. Uh, established and then uh, lastly is the uh, something that's not on here the next steps but what something that's even more important is the comparison the comparison of what we did in the past and this falls into our past disparity study in 2019 we conducted a disparity study that quite frankly was prior to the diversity and contracting policy directive and so the the disparity study uh, didn't take an account for this new, uh, our, our new program, so to speak. And so uh, we are currently in the process of getting, kicking off our new disparity study, which will uh, incorporate uh, the diversity and contracting policy directive when, and it will capture the uh, data information in which um, uh, we started since 2018, since the policy directive. So I'm looking forward to comparison between the two uh, uh, disparity studies. And so uh, with that, I'm going to hit that next button. Now we can say thank you. So thank you. Excellent. <laughs> thank you. Oh. Did you have anything else? So uh, we're thinking, so at the end of the 2023, what one of my my associates was bringing it up to me was uh, we're, we'll, we'll, the disparity study is complete in 2024, have a bridge to talk amongst you, the commissioners, the ELT, the executive leadership team, and a lot of port staff to, to uh, determine the new goals of what we're going to do uh, moving forward. So okay. 20, next year would probably be a bridge year. And so just wanted to uh, say that. Um, as we speak. So thank you very much for reminding me on that one. Thank you. Great. So. Awesome. Thank you so much, me and uh, Emily, uh, Lawrence and Mandela for your presentation. I will now open it up for commissioners uh, for questions or comments. Anyone want the first crack at the? 
All right, Commissioner Hasegawa. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. Go ahead. Thanks. Uh, yeah, just a couple of comments. Um, the first is, uh, I mean, of course, to say thank you for this tremendous amount of work that you guys have been engaged in over the last five years, and to see the success of increasing participation is really encouraging. I know that um, the further we get into this, the harder every incremental percentage becomes. And I just want to speak to some of the things that I recall from our conversations over the last years about why that is. And a part of it is, um, as Lawrence referenced in his mention of the baggage optimization program, I think I remember when you know, we were going out to bid for that, that there were maybe two contractors globally that can manage that, neither of which is local nor uh, minority owned, although that starts to get strained when we're talking about a German-owned company versus a I don't know, French-owned company, I'm forgetting where the two countries of origin work for those companies, but it sort of feels to me like it's disingenuous to include that capital expenditure in our measure when it's, it's simply not eligible for local uh, contractors. We don't, we don't have contractors to do that kind of specialty work. Uh, and so, you know, maybe as we're taking that bridge here to reconsider what our goals will be for the next uh, period of this program, we can think of a way of presenting that kind of information so that it, it is clearer and Oh, I, lose, I think we lost. Oh, uh, you faded there, Ryan. I don't know if you had a question towards the end of. Does it uh, benefit? Are you guys losing my signal? There you yeah. go. You're you're back. Am I back? Okay. Uh, and then uh, the the final comment I would make is just, you know, I'd love to for us to the optimal uh, and and make the first covering. We want our percentage of contractor utilization, both you know, dollar value and percentage of contractors, to be roughly equivalent to the makeup of our region or maybe our county. But I, I do want us to say, you know, rather than just what is our next short-term goal, whether that's five years or 10 years, what is our optimal? What is the goal that we would want for the port generally? And uh, so maybe in that that bridge here, we can discuss that concept as well. And that's it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. Commissioner Hazegawa. Okay, let's start from the top. Can we go to slide six, please? So slide six is just one of the slides that demonstrates the decrease um, between 2021 and 2022. When we talked about potential, um, uh, well, it's a decrease in rate. Right, it's still an increase, but um, but the rate isn't the same as the rate of growth between 2016 and 2017 or any other year, um, except for 2017, 2018. Anyways, um, when I heard you speaking, you were talking about how um, one of the reasons behind that might be that we're offering bigger, more highly technical um, projects at this point, and so. Um, you know, acknowledging that that is one of the challenges. I'm wondering if there are any other challenges that you wanted to bring up um, 
regarding the de decreased rate between, between 2021 and 2022, um, and any opportunities or strategies that you've identified to be able to make sure that's not a barrier? Go ahead, Lawrence. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, we're, we're, we're pointing to each other. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't say it's, 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 it's one thing. I, I, I just remind folks and, and caution to, to look at strategy as a whole. Um, and so, I mean, you can pigeonhole all kinds of things. You could talk about our contracting processes. You could talk about um, uh, maybe lack of strategy, intentionality. But I, I think the intent of the program is to be strategic. So I don't have one thing off the top of my off the top of my head that just drags us down. You know, as opposed to maybe looking at, say, for example, construction data. I know for sure, you know, there was there just wasn't a lot that came out. We did a lot of planning, but I think when we talk about just overall, I. Um, we're strategic people, you know, that, that believe that one thing didn't necessarily get us in this mess and it's, it's going to take a, a host of things to get us out, right? right? And so that's the way that I approach my work um, uh, when it comes to diversity and contracting uh, and trying to get more folks opportunity. Yeah, you know, I think that there's a, you know, there's a role for the barrier study in the conversation as well and that we acknowledge that it's a, it's a, you know, like you said, it's multidimensional. There are many things that we could talk about. There are many strategies that we should consider um, can you just give us an idea about when an in-depth conversation about barriers specifically might take place as we know we're, we're finishing up that study and that's the timeline I was alluding to is that one of the things we'll look at is coming back with that and looking at the, the measures that come out of that some of those were already progressing now on those but we'll come back with other suggested things that we were looking at the you know or the work collecting that of saying how that can add to to uh, decreasing those barriers which would increase the numbers so. to decreasing <coughs> barriers and also setting goals together right um, because you set goals and you pair them with strategies and to have strategies we acknowledge and do what we always do and run towards the issues so mm -hmm. I just wanted to, to ask that here in, in the in a public meeting um, and I, I, I love to see the year-by-year -year increase, right? Uh, I sort of laugh when I, can you go to the next page, the next slide, please? Maybe it wasn't that one, but it, it demonstrated that we were just shy of our 2022 goal, um, just shy. Oh, yeah. It, I, I laugh because it reminds me of the time I got 98% on a test. I was so proud. I showed my in-laws. I was at grad school. And they asked me uh, why I didn't get 100. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, right? Um, yep. And so, and I think that that's, you know, that's a form of accountability and, and love. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that that's part of the conversation too. Mm -hmm. Is when we're, we're coming shy. Why why are we coming just shy? And mm -hmm. I do applaud the numbers, um, but how would these numbers? What would the data demonstrate if we were to sort um, by project size mm -hmm. or by prime or sub, mm -hmm. right? Um, and um, and just understanding that we've, we we want to we want to strive for more and hearing commissioner Fellman say I'm, I'm i'm asking you to stretch i also am asking us to stretch mm -hmm. and um and so the conversation about how how we performed i think is valuable and i'm almost most interested in where we didn't perform mm -hmm. so that when we come back to this next time we are hitting those numbers mm -hmm. and we're overperforming for what we anticipated um uh, I'm hoping we can turn to slide 10 really quickly. 
And we're talking about uh, non-construction utilization. I was hoping you could talk just a little bit about the outliers, in particular internal audit and central the central procurement offices for smaller operations like these that you know hit 2.2 percent or 0.1 percent. How are we asking them to stretch? Yeah, so this year uh, we've asked each department and division to provide us with the internal inclusion plan. Um, and, and so that's some of the things, you know, uh, I think internally where we're asking folks to push. We've also asked folks to push when you have opportunities that are at the category one level and at the PCAR level to also consider women and minority businesses as you, can, as you choose, right? Because yep. you have a little bit more of uh, autonomy, if you will, before things hit the procurement street. So we're asking that, that one of those considerations also be bringing a woman or minority business to the table. A uh, reality is, you know, some, some departments just don't have that kind of spin. But we do feel like if you make a plan, stick with it, but also make uh, some legitimate efforts, even though you don't have a, a, a lot of spin, but the hope is that you're making some efforts. So it might not necessarily uptick in the percentage, but we do know that uh, we're holding you to the commitment to make the efforts. And again, hopefully that lends to uh, getting that increased number, if you will. And I, I'm, I love numbers and love to talk about numbers, but I mean, the people that we engage in want opportunity, right? You mm -hmm. know, so I know we get hung up on just the percentages and the numbers and things like that. But I can tell you, like, these smaller units matter. They matter to the, 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 the sister that's out there that's, you know, she might be selling beads or uh, trinkets or, or you know things like that you know she may be able to cater so those those types of smaller opportunities matter so I know you know folks get caught up in we see percentages and you know, it might only be like $500 but it does matter that's music to my ears yep, as much as we want to pay attention to access to primes as much as we want to pay attention to access to larger contracts um, and increasing that I will also say um, that the other side, the other end of that spectrum deeply matters. Absolutely. And just because they have less of a spend capacity does not mean that they lack opportunities to diversify. So um, imploring them also, they, although it's smaller, it's not negligible um, in, uh, for those who uh, would, would be engaged if, if they were intentional about that. Right. So uh, thank you for that. Can, can I ask, say yes, one, one quick sir. thing? In that previous slide, go if you go back to that other slide, uh, no, one more up. Keep going. Up, I think six, I believe it was. So, you know, when I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, I'm talking to Mr. McFadden here, you know, percent utilization is percent, but down below bottom where it says number of firms, that's the, part of the intentionality, the P cards and so forth. Mm. And those numbers on an annual basis is part of that. And what, what looking at the corporate, corporate list and making sure that folks can actually be part of it, that feeds into that bottom, that bottom uh, number of firms utilized. Mm -hmm. Because you can always, you know, as engineer, I, I always think, okay, you can mess with percentages, but are the people actually, what's the number of firms that are actually participating on Port of Seattle? So it be it, be it buying a, a tire to whatever widgets, it's your, you have that opportunity, it's putting money in your pocket as a Wimby firm. Sorry about that, I apologize. Never apologize for offering information. Um, okay, and then can we go back to slide 10 again? 
and just also talk about what folks are doing right with the Office of Strategic Initiatives? Um, so they have, uh, when we peel back their numbers, they have very few contracts, uh, but the one that they do have <laughs> is with the Wimby firm, right? Very and good. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and shout There's out. There's a percentage. There it is. See? Shout, out, shout out to them. And they've, been, uh, they've been leading, a, um, not leading the way, but uh, they've, year after year, they, uh, they, they do work with, uh, with on a contract a uh, couple of years, you know, with the uh, woman or minority business and, you know, as the prime, which is important for us when we start to see primes show mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought uh, we saw a couple of primes uh, this year that were Wimby firms, which is exciting to see, right? Because, and again, not just the, the number, you know, folks care about real opportunity to mm -hmm. grow. And so when we see that, uh, especially like sure. on uh, job order contracting, um, small works contracts, these are good, 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 small rider size uh, opportunities where folks have the opportunity to scale. But even then, mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen uh, um, a, a couple million dollar contracts where we've seen primes. I just seen a contract close today where I saw a significant, I want to say it was about 30% Wimby utilization. So, yep. so we're seeing some things come through. I think, I think that point about scaling is so important too. And oftentimes I've found in my interactions with um, minority and uh, women-owned businesses and micro-businesses, they said that the, the biggest thing that they need when trying to get a contract um, with a public entity is a foot in the door. Mm -hmm. um, and then mm -hmm. after that, they begin to build a reputation, they begin to understand the institution, and right. they better contend for um, for other and additional opportunities. So yep. folks like the Office Strategic Initi uh, Strategic Initi Initiatives being intentional about being that foot through the door, I applaud you, good job. Also calling out engineering at 40.3%. Um, and then external relations and, and the environmental team. Uh, so proud of you guys. Um, and also, like Commissioner Fellman said, stretch, stretch. Um, so can we also, I'm sorry, President Cho, no, I, no. I promise to move this along. So um, can we now move to page, or to slide number 19? Bullet point zero or two says evaluate diversity in contracting efforts or better tie in within the project approach sections that are in the RFPs. You have to explain to me because what does that mean? I'll have to defer to me and um, and let you let you kick this one off and then I'll. So which uh, I'm sorry, apologies. Which which point are you looking um, at? Uh, so she's on one bullet, bullet two. Bullet two, I've didn't uh, evaluate diversity contract efforts to better tie in with project approach sections. That are right. So basically, and remember, I was telling you about the alternative contracting methodologies. Yes. In some of these projects, GCM, design build type projects. So you have a certain section that talks about diversity in contracting, and inclusion plans, and all the fun things that behind it. But then there's also a section that gets points with the project approach. How is that contractor approaching building that project? And so what is the schedule? How are they going to actually build or do whatever that, what is that project approach, literally, in terms of building out? So as part of that project approach, how are you tying in that diversity contracting segment into the project approach itself? So that way it's not icing on a cake, it's actually part of the cake. And that's what that it's means. It's a plan. It's a plan. 
Thank you for that clarification. And then on the same page, number three, increased compliance. Um, we talked about posting of WIMBY results of crimes. Mm -hmm. Do we already do that? Not at the moment, no. And would that, if ideally, when you're, talk, when you're talking about that as a recommended strategy, that's a transparency tool? Or is mm -hmm. it a, it's a transparency tool saying, you know, they promised this and did they meet it or exceed it? You know, some of our bigger projects. Meaning are, our contractors. Yep, yeah, our contracts, our prime contractors saying, oh, we're going to do 20%. That's what the contract said that we're going to do it. Okay, so here's your 20%. Now, as the project continues to go, are you going to hit that 20% or are you going to fall short of what you, what you uh, um, ultimately achieved? Okay. And so that's just more of transparency saying, did they, did they say that they're going to make it and did they hit that goal or did they fall short? Sometimes, sometimes primes like to, you know, of course that's part of RFPs. I'm sorry, it's, uh, they like to say, here are the projects I worked in, this is how great we were doing. You know, and, and being able to, somebody taking a look and going online to say, hey, it says here that you did this, but you and this mm -hmm. and this RP, it doesn't say what, <laughs> there's a disconnect. Right, right. Well, it's also a daylighting if people are doing a good job. That's right, and daylights of people who are doing a good job. Can we go back to slide 10, and I'm gonna round out my line of questioning. Engineering um, had 40.3% attainment. Uh, my first question is, where where is architects on here? Like, if you talk about that we have a strategy coming up for architects and engineering, does that fall under? Can so, you help me so architect. So in, we probably could put an A next to the engineering. Okay, got it. Thank you. Yeah. And then I'm wondering if you. With these numbers, how do you anticipate, do we have an architects and engineering small works list? No. Do we have one in the works? We are trying to, with the help of a lot of the folks in the, with the port, we're trying to put something together. That's exciting. For Andy, we're trying to take a look and see what we can do for those small, it's part of the unbundling portion. So some of these small businesses who want some smaller, chunks bites at apple taking a look at what what does that how can we say here's a distinct small project that you can bite into and that's yours so yes short answer and would that impact that line item architects architects engineering or would that also um, have benefit for some of the other departments also there might be a benefit for everybody it depends on Very you know good. who's going i think i'd also echo that a lot of those projects are initiated by the operating divisions. Right. So that funding yes. is actually going to be in our budget that hires those A&E True. Folks. Yep. That is correct. Well, uh, I think when you do a year-by-year -year analysis of where this effort started versus where we are today, this has been incredible um, in terms of deliverables and, and measure, measurements. Um, I look forward to a conversation about barriers and strategy. I also look forward to a conversation about goal setting. And thank mm -hmm. you so much for presenting your body of work to us here today. Thank, thank you, you, Commissioner. Thank Appreciate you, Commissioners. It. Excellent. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hazagawa. Any questions from Commissioners online? Um, Mohammed? Yeah, 
Yes, President Cho, thank you for recognizing me. Um, first, I just want to start by saying thank you to Mian's team um, for all of your efforts in keeping us updated. I really appreciate the parts about um, your outreach efforts that includes um, technical assistance. That really, to me, it shows a commitment to supporting small businesses, period, and that is great. Um, yeah, I will say that the numbers are still disappointing, right? Um, I also understand that your team is operating within the constraints of our state laws. Um, and for me, what I'm hoping that we can do is really look closer at the recommendations that you've provided and figure out ways that we can, within those constraints, figure out ways that we can expedite our progress and meet our, our targets. Um, and it is really helpful to hear that there is a strategy to increase those A uh, and E companies, and so that was really good. Um, the barrier study was mentioned, and I had a specific question um, that uh, about that that I'm just I'm curious about. Um, have we taken the necessary steps to gain just a, a better understanding of the barriers from um, those who've attempted? to secure a contract with the port? Um, are there, has there been an effort to do that? Um, so the short answer is, uh, has there been an effort? Yes, but we're going to be continuing that effort to identify those barriers uh, with some of the uh, folks within the, like we ad hoc committees and things uh, like that. There are, um, as relates to the barrier studies, um, as I think I had in an appendix there, you know, some of the areas were like badging. How do we, this is something that's been there for a while, and how do we handle that? How do we handle the, the bonding and assurance for our businesses? And that's been a kind of long-standing issue or challenges. Cash flow is another issue. So we're trying to take these in chunks as best we possibly can, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we demonstrate to you, commissioners, the ongoing commitment in terms of trying to resolve some of these barriers so we can get over the hump and then some to remove some of these barriers that have been identified through the barrier study. Great, that, that's really helpful that there has been some effort in attempt to uh, talk to the, the folks who've attempted to secure a contract with us and haven't been able to be successful. I think that feedback can provide valuable insights yep. um, on you know any barrier or challenge that um, that they have faced to identify ways that we can improve our, our procurement procedures. And so can you maybe you know, just speak a little bit to what those efforts have looked like? Is that like interviews? Are you reaching out to them? Is that we've reached out and haven't been successful? So what we're, uh, well, uh, please, can you go ask that question one more time? I want to make sure I understand you correctly, Commissioner. So when, so when I asked, have we attempted to um, speak to those who have attempted to secure a contract with the port mm -hmm. to get some, some understanding and learnings from them? It sounded like you said there have been efforts. In the past, there have been efforts. The study that we did just reconfirmed some of the, our past efforts, but they made it a little more official. Um, and the, uh, we're planning on doing something in the, probably next month to talk about to some of the businesses out there to talk even more so about what were their challenges? Does this the information within the study, is this correct? Are we, what else can we do to actually move, help move the needle uh, forward, it's it's an ongoing process that's it's a um, complicated 
yet at the same time, uh, something in which I think is um, with the teamwork, there's no I in team, so we got to figure, figure out some of these areas. And the short answer is, yeah, we do have, um, we do talk to different industry folks that want to try to get to the port, but uh, how we, how we do it and what the recommended rec remedies of those actual um, barriers is, is still going to be a, a challenge. Arka? Great. So it sounds like you guys have collected information in the past, but a part of this barrier study that hasn't been done, but there is some attempts to do that now. And so mm -hmm. there'll be some more information to come as that yes, study that is, is being completed. Yep. Okay, great. I'm glad I'm, I'm hearing you correctly on that. Thank you. Um, and then my, my other question is, you know, just given our commitment to um, reducing our environmental impacts, um, I was interested in just learning or hearing you um, talk about ways that we are prioritizing minority-owned businesses, um, how we're partnering with them, um, more specifically around the aviation side. Like, are we, like, when you look at the aviation goals, those, those goals that they've set, do you know if um, things like EV charging station companies are um, being prioritized to make sure that we do have some minority-owned businesses who are being prioritized in um, the EV charging station uh, efforts that that we're seeing and uh, we're seeing on the aviation side? Yeah. So when you're saying prioritization, I want to make sure I'm understanding correctly. What do you mean by prioritization? Uh, just to well, well, I guess setting the goal, like when you set your Wimby goals. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, like is that is that something that we're are the is that number i don't know if you can desegregate the data there on the aviation side when we're talking about uh efforts to help reduce our environmental impact like mm -hmm. is that um specifically i'm using the ev charging stations as a specific example mm -hmm. and was wondering if those goals are being met so and lawrence you can jump in here real quick uh so as the project or whatever it is, be it environmental, EV charging stations, whatever, that, pro that project manager gives us what you call a work breakdown structure, identifies those, those scopes of work to help build it. And then what we do is we take a look at see what are those businesses that fall into the EV charging station, using that as examples, that falls into the percentage of that's going to be included as part of the bid package or whatever we're trying to do or RFP to make sure that there's there's a focus on some of those areas that match what that said effort or project is going to from an A&E consulting or construction side of the coin. That's helpful. That's really helpful. Again, I, I just I want to um, express my gratitude for your team and the hard work that you guys are putting in. I know that this work is not easy and that there are a lot of constraints. And so this, the information you provide is helpful for us as commissioners and policymakers to better understand what is happening. And so I always appreciate these updates. And that concludes my questions and comments. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Commissioner. Great. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mohammed. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask a few questions. Um, you know. Ryan went first, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so going back to slide eight, uh, you know, me and you and I always have this uh, conversation about uh, uh, dollar amount versus volume of contracts, right? And the and the healthy balance. And obviously, we have goals on both sides, right? Fifteen percent utilization on uh, uh, when it comes to dollar amount, and then we're trying to triple by 
uh, by next year. Um, I, I find this really interesting here because when you look at it from a demographic breakdown, you actually see an interesting, um, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a pattern, but um, trend where, for instance, Asian American, Asian businesses get less uh, in dollars, but there's more contracts. Mm -hmm. Right, and and so that tells me maybe that the dollar value per contract is less, but there's more Asian businesses getting more. I don't know that for a fact. Vice versa, more Black and African American businesses received uh, they received more from a dollar amount, but there's less actual firms that are receiving that. And so I, I guess you know as a follow up to to this slide here, I would love to see a disaggregated um, data of like what kinds of contracts the Asian businesses are getting versus the black business businesses versus the Hispanic businesses. I think that would give us real, some really great insight into figuring out and answering the question of like there aren't enough Wimby businesses out there, right? But if we're seeing a higher uh, propensity of Asian businesses applying for accounting jobs versus you know certain demographics applying for other jobs, that would I think that level of data will help us be better at targeting and hitting those goals. And so for yourselves as well, but also for myself, I would love to know and learn, maybe there are more, you know, you know, uh, lawyer, Asian lawyers versus, you know, more, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, equity consultants in the, in the, in the black community. Mm -hmm. I don't know, right. but I'm making that stuff up. But, you know, I think it would give us some um, uh, three layers deep insights into how we can better target to better meet our goals. And so I, I would love to see that um, at some point, if Copy you guys that. can put that together mm -hmm. uh, and we can follow up as well, just kind of dissect it and jam on that. Um, the, the last point I wanted to make was actually uh, a follow-up to Commissioner Fellman's question about why isn't everything just 15%. And actually this debate, and I know uh, Dave weighed in on this a little bit, and uh, to flush it out a little more, this is actually a very uh, popular uh, business slash public policy debate of when it comes to benchmarking and goal and goal setting and it's it's actually a question of do we want to emphasize and reward the pro the, the the goal of 15% or do we want to emphasize or reward progress towards 15% and the reason there's a distinction there is because not all departments start from the same starting line right so there could be departments that are at 14% already and if they hit 15% they only need to go up by 1% Right? You could have a department at 2%, but they raised it to 10%, which in theory, the 8% jump is far more commendable, in my view, than the 1% jump, right? And this is actually, the reason this is such a huge point of contention is because if you guys all, and I promise I'll get off my soapbox here, but not to lecture, but um, if you remember the, the, the No Child Left Behind Act, mm, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest failures of the No Child Left Behind Act was that, you know, that was the reason we as a, as K through 12 went through all these standardized tests uh, through K through 12. And it was to test our reading, writing, math levels. If you are, are you at sixth grade, are you reading and writing at a sixth grade level, right? And if you hit that benchmark, the federal government would give you money to further your program. The problem in that program was that if you started the school year at a second grade level and you're now testing at a fifth grade level, you've still made progress from second to third grade proficiency, but you've not hit that goal of reading at the grade that you're supposed to be hitting. And so it would, even, despite the fact that teachers were making progress and helping students improve, they were not being rewarded for that progress. They were being penalized for not meeting that, oh, you're a sixth grader, you should be reading at a sixth grade level. And I think this is a, a, a very good parallel to that, 
where you could have a goal, uh, right, where it's 15% all across the board, uh, you've gone from 2 to 10%. You've made up 8%, which is great, versus another department that's made up maybe only 2% to hit that goal, right? And the other issue, the other thing is that maybe you've always been at 15% mm -hmm. or higher, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to disincentivize departments to not go beyond that. Right, so I, I think that's why your, your benchmarking is, is important. And while I, I understand and appreciate that, like, uh, I do think we should be rewarding progress as, a, as an organization. And so any department that might be at far below our benchmark that have made any progress, I think that should be accounted for. And so I, I, you know, that I just wanted to, I'll get off my soapbox, but I think that's a really important to make, point to make here when people see our numbers and like, yeah, but like certain departments aren't even hitting 15 yet, mm -hmm. right? It's like, right. yeah, but how far have they come from, right? And it, that all is baked into the question of being equitable and, and fair when we're, when we're uh, applying um, you know, metrics. So anyways, I'll shut up. Thank you for that presentation. Are there, yeah, Commissioner Fellman, if you have any follow-up. So that is an interesting way, a, a tracking method, and that would be something that would be added on to, and I, I, I totally would support that. And Emily was saying that you were gonna add some more tracking like so one of those things was like I think was you were getting to was like the number of applications you have that get into the program to the number ones that are actually successful versus just the number that show up and and so so that success rate would also get to the question of like who's who is succeeding and what are the what are the better targeting that you could do so it was that was sort of one of the, I kind of read into I think that's what you're saying so it's really number of applicants is not into itself it's than those that applied, that's another good number, but those that succeeded is really the number you want, right? So, um, you know, I, I guess, man, it's really getting tiresome how joyful you are about these, these presentations. <laughs> it's uh, that, that's a, Well, look, I'm at the end of the, excuse me, Commissioner, I, we're at the end of the presentation. I want to make sure I liven up a little bit this yeah. conversation. It's the last meeting, I know, but I, I got to take issue with this expression of going for broke when you're talking about business accelerators. I don't know, going for broke is oh, oh, really, sorry, yeah. really is not the expression That term, choice, I apologize. You know? Kind of like breaking a leg, right? But, uh, but, but I'm, I'm trying to little levity at the end of the day here, but I got to give a shout out for, maybe it's why they uh, have their name Office of Strategic Initiatives. They would seem to be very strategic in their Wimby goal utilization. But to tell you the truth, the real question I'm, I'm looking at here is, there seems to be a dynamic tension, a fundamental issue between small businesses and labor unions. And how do you get your foot in the door versus getting your quality job, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. our goals are both. Mm -hmm. and, and it just always seems like one of those things that when I first got here, you know, I've been staring at this issue for seven years and I still don't, nobody's really got that one figured out yet. And so how do we incentivize both? And I think the best I've been able to think about this is like through the sub program, right? So you have the big contract, right, with a commitment to a high level of Wimby utilization mm -hmm. on the subs. And you were then talking about publishing it you know, holding them more accountable to it. I just tell me, like that sounds like the one strategy I've heard that really kind of gets to that dichotomy and tries to hold the big firms more to their commitments because that gives them the score, right? That helps them to get their contract. So help me here. How do we resolve this? You know, that's commissioner. It, it, you're right. It is a. It's been. It's a challenge between the two, and I'm hoping that when we uh, continue to have 
our conversations about the barrier study, or excuse me, the Wimby uh, analysis study, we would start to have further conversations in regards to this one and start figuring it out. Uh, I don't think we'll be able to figure it out today, um, but I do think that um, making sure that as a public entity and a you know, as a ser uh, public servant myself, how do we make sure that there's a balance between the two? And that's something that I think we're all going to have to have a conversation about and figure out what the best mechanisms for that. So it's like it's like the ultimate challenge because we want to support both. And then what's the only thing was this question of certification? This both a state certification and a federal certification, mm -hmm. right? right? And isn't hasn't there been some reluctance for people to be certified or what is the barrier I mean it seems to me getting certified seems to be something you would want to do but it sounds to me like there was some pushback on that and just help me understand that because it seems like for the federal grants you need that right mm -hmm. yes so what what what's the hold up there is so, it so cost? so Lawrence probably can chime in a little more on this one but but here 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 it is so when we do have federal certification or because we're running this the, the USDOT small business program headed up by Lisa um, and um, um, Lisa Fair. The there is since we're running their certification program or their program, they're looking for their certified businesses, which turns into be AKA um, um, DBEs, disadvantaged business enterprise. That's their certification. Now on the state side for those non-federal projects when uh, back in 1998 when I-200 uh, took, took hold and turned the state of Washington into an anti-affirmative action state, you know, some of the businesses said, why are we doing this in the first place if there's no benefit from me getting certified? We are, over the years, we're now turning that around and trying to be more intentional all the things, especially the last three to five years. And so there are more and more folks are now saying, okay, now that I see there's a benefit to being certified as a small business. We, there are folks, government entities are becoming, continuing to become even more focused on one minority businesses itself. Now the certification side of the coin, there also was some, some you know, as, as if I'm a small business and then I see a pile of paperwork in front of me, do I really have the time to even go through it. <laughs> and then submit something into the state of Washington is, is the certification uh, at the time was, you know, there was just a lot, right? A lot of paperwork, so to speak. Owned Office of One Minority Business Enterprise over the years have streamlined their process so it's gotten better in terms of certification and so um, in terms of the process of it. So, but there was a paperwork barrier and going through it and what is the benefit for me even getting certified? So that's, uh, uh, that, those were kind of the two big things over the years, um, and it's getting better as and these so past do we years. have any programs that like helping people fill out applications to bid? Do we have programs to help people get certified? There are multiple free programs through, you know, Table 100 helps, right? That's one area. The, right. the uh, um, uh, Small yeah. Business Development Center will help folks getting certified, the PTAC, and don't ask me what that, the whole thing, I'm trying to remember the that whole, yeah, 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 thank you. Um, yeah, there are many, there are many different organizations will help businesses get certified, and even OMW will help you get certified, the, the actual staff there. So there's multiple ways for uh, um, uh, any individual or any business that want to get certified can get certified. And, 
they just have to know help May I find add something, out something go ahead just just oh. to add to that um so we've got an event coming up for jock and small works and we're actually bringing omwbe to talk about certification and how to get started this is building on top of we had two certification events last year that lisa yep. fair our dve manager um, worked on in partnership with OMDB, omwbe and we have plans for more of that um, in this year as well <coughs> yep that's exactly right thank you commissioner Hazegal. No. okay all right thank you so much team really appreciate all the great thank work you guys are doing thank you Looking thank you commissioners thank you. yeah and absolutely. thank you commissioners online as well appreciate you yes absolutely um i want to note real quick i think commissioner hamdi had to drop so she is no longer with us right now oh. um and so that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day are there any uh, closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from commissioners no yes commissioner Osgawa. It is once every 33 years that Holy Days for Muslim, Jewish, and Christian mm -hmm. faiths coincide. We observed that last weekend, so I just wanted to wish everybody a very happy holidays. And I also want to acknowledge that um, uh, that Seattle and the Port community um, lost a community member with the tragic road rage murder incident of Elijah Lewis. and. Um, I wanted to thank the external relations staff for putting out a really lovely statement in support of um, him and his family. I do want to mention that there is a GoFundMe site available if members of our port community are looking to support. Um, nobody plans uh, for a funeral for somebody that young. Um, but I did want to just mention that Elijah was a, mem a valued member of our port community. He was a guiding light with wisdom beyond his years. And one of the things that um, he did say, um, I wanted to share uh, with you all, um, what he said was, quote, we can do anything we put our minds to as long as we do it together. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hazagawa. Commissioner Calkins, do you have anything for us, uh, final words or thoughts for the meeting? All right, I will or is he still with us in any case um, I'm, I'm gonna take a moment of personal privilege and also uh, mention something real quick uh, and I hope this is okay with her but um, our deputy chief of staff Leon Sherato, uh is a huge huge part of our office uh, and a huge part of the Port family and unfortunately recently she learned that her eight-year-old uh, her son Mason uh, was diagnosed with leukemia um, and uh, you know he it's early stage I think and uh, he's fighting through it and I've been following through social media his progress on treatment uh, but I just wanted to send uh, best wishes to Mason I actually had the chance to get to know Mason a little bit on our trip to San Diego he followed Leanne to our trip to San Diego and I'll say that he, he is a he is an amazingly bright and precocious young man and uh, he, he's just a sweetheart, and uh, I would just say that if he's anything like his mother, we know that he's a fighter. Uh, and so we are all looking forward to hearing positive news after receiving treatment. Um, if anyone uh, is up to support Mason, I'm going to be uh, wearing these red uh, bands in support. It says Mason's Army on it. I think we have a packet of a bunch of these in the commission office, so please feel free to come by and grab one. If we run out, we'll get more. Uh, but uh, to both Leanne Mason and the entire Sherato family, 
uh, the poor family is behind you. Uh, we, you know, whatever you need, uh, just I hope you all feel comfortable uh, reaching out. Uh, and I just, you know, want to make sure that we, we called that out and uh, acknowledged. Um, I believe they have a GoFundMe, it sounds like, um, and uh, any contributions to that. No pressure, no pressure, but if you feel compelled to, there is a GoFundMe that I'm sure the commission office would be happy to circulate uh, via email if you reach out to them. So uh, thank you for entertaining that point of personal privilege. Uh, hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there is no objection, we are adjourned at 3.02 p.m. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.